Welcome to this very special Amazing Race 4 episode of URT Number, the Amazing Race podcast from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Armstone, and joining me as always is the Canadian who loves to talk about feces, Logan Saunders. Afternoon. And I'm very pleased to say that joining us from Amazing Race 4 is one of the clowns, it's Al Rios. Hey. Hey. Welcome to the show. And this isn't the first time that you've kind of had your own uh, Amazing Race show, because for people that may not know, way back when... Uh, John, and then you also made some cameos on an afternoon predating podcast, really, an afternoon uh, talk show where you guys talked with the eliminated teams from uh, the earlier seasons of The Amazing Race. Yeah, we did. Wow, that's great. Yeah, it was a great uh, experience. CBS had asked us to come and do some of that and interview some of the people, and uh, we really had a great time doing it. And uh, got to talk a lot about a lot of different things and compare our experiences on The Amazing Race. So it was a lot of fun. Do you and John still follow the show to this day? Um, I could answer for myself, but I definitely do. It's funny because John's in Vegas now. And every time I ask him, he asks me to uh, catch him up on what's going on with the show. And, oh, what's happening? Oh, I just wasn't able to see it. So uh, he'll catch episodes here and there but i follow it religiously uh i enjoy it i enjoy watching it and because i was on it um it brings back brings back a lot of memories and uh i compare our seasons to the newer seasons as well and how long did you guys have that uh after show with the eliminated teams how many seasons does that go on for um we we only did it for i believe uh the year the year after that because John and I were also traveling at the time I was working on cruise ships and John was in the circus and we were able to fit it in and do that. The, I believe it was the year after our show, um, if I remember correctly, but uh, it was only that one season that we did it. And I believe they took other people who were eliminated um, who were on the show as well to host it. Oh, Okay. Hmm. Yeah, it's been such a long time since that uh, online series uh, was on. During your guys' season, where did they have the elimination station for the eliminated teams? Ah, that's so funny you asked me that because um, at the end of our season, when we had a um, the finale show in New York, my brother asked uh, Steve, he was one of the air traffic controllers, he says, where did you guys go once you were eliminated? Where was the city, they, what did they call it, the um, uh, sequester, yeah, sequester city. And it was so funny because he said, oh, I'm not allowed to tell you, but it rhymes with Bisbon, Orchical. So it was Lisbon, Portugal. <laughs> really, it really, uh, there were so many options as to where it could be with that clue. It was so funny when he said that, my brother started cracking up. But John and I never went there. We never went to sequester. Because you guys had were eliminated so late into the season that I've heard that with the fourth place teams it can happen where they don't really get that uh, psychological time to wind down from being eliminated. You guys just go straight to the finish line in Phoenix, I presume, is what happened? Yeah, actually what happened, it was very, very interesting. Um, when we were eliminated, all right, we were eliminated in Brisbane, all, uh, Austria, Australia. And um, we came up at the very end, and it was a very, um, it was a crazy leg of that race, to be honest with you. Um, when we got there, 
all the other teams, when they said, John and Al, you have been eliminated, all the other teams, which this does never happens, came out. Because we really befriended a lot of them. And we got along with them. They all came out and, you know, we started hugging each other and there were tears and everyone's talking. And I'll never forget the director, Bertram, he was saying, take this, take this, tape it, tape it. And all the cameras were taping, you know, because you usually don't see that. What happens is you get eliminated and they just scurry you away and the other teams never even get to see you. So, uh, yeah, this was really unusual that they all came out and, you know, they were saying, oh, we're so sorry you're eliminating me. And we're like, oh, really? <laughs> but um, and then Bertram said, no, you guys, I want you to run the rest of the race. And he said, just don't get in the way of the other racers. I believe there was like four days left. Something like that, four or five days. He said, just don't get in the way of the other racers, but um, we're going to let you race. And I think the last two um, events that they had to do, that's when they scurried us away to Phoenix. So it was kind of fun. We were running the race, and the other racers were watching us run it, and they didn't know. He told us, just run the race, just don't get in their way. And they were a little bit confused, like, what the heck? I thought those guys were eliminated. What's going on here? So what you're saying is technically David and Jeff didn't finish third. They actually finished fourth. I always said that. I always said because they didn't finish. They finished fourth. You're right. And I always said we should have had third place and they should have been fourth. Yeah, they didn't even make it to the finish line. See, in my eyes, and that's very funny that you brought that up because a couple of the fans, they would bring that up. They're like, what about this? They didn't go to the finish line. They just went home. So technically, you guys should be in third place, which, you know, I, most people know that you do make a little bit of money, you know, depending on which place you come in. So we should have got the third place reward and not the fourth place reward. But Bertram, did Bertram didn't want to bite, didn't want to bite on that uh, on that explanation. You know what? We didn't even ask about that. I'll tell you, when we were eliminated, it was um, it was crazy what happened. Something happened in the Seoul Korea airport where, and they didn't show it on TV. And I guess I could say it, it's been so long. We weren't allowed to talk about it. Um, we had a NDA, ND, non-disclosure form, NDF. Um, in the Seoul Korea airport, we couldn't purchase our tickets for the airport, for the plane. And it was, they never showed it on TV. They never talked about it. But um, for some reason, our the car, the credit card or something like that wasn't working or something happened. Later on, they told us it was the computer terminal at the Seoul Korea airport. But we couldn't purchase our tickets. We were with a producer and the producer, she said she didn't understand it. So she used her credit card, which was a CBS credit card. And in Seoul Korea, they said, go to the gate because the entire airport was shut down because of um, a storm. They said they're opening up the airport and they're starting to load those flights. So we purchased the ticket while we were inside past security. We did it over the phone. They said, go to the gate. We'll bring your tickets there. And of course, it's, it would be me, John, sound guy, and camera guy. Once we got there, they started calling John's name. John Weiss, John Weiss, passenger Weiss. He said, yes, I'm here. And they're like, you know, you have to board the plane. He goes, no, my partner Al's here too. And they're like, no, we don't have anyone else on the manifest. There was a big scuttle. We were arguing. And again, none of this was shown on TV. And um, this 
little Korean guy comes running up with his ticket. And he said, once your ticket was purchased, uh, the credit card was denied. So a lot of people never knew about this. And um, what happened is the three teams got on the plane. They flew down to Brisbane. Now our credit cards work. We were able to purchase tickets for the next flight. We got on the flight. When we got down to Brisbane, Australia, we saw the other three teams there. We're like, holy cow, they were just sitting. We're like, maybe they got held up. We started running and someone came out, a guy in a suit, I believe. And he's just like, stop. We're with CBS Legal. We need to talk to you. And they said, we understand that you had difficulties with your credit card. Uh, We held the other teams up here while we did a full investigation. And it was by no fault of CBS. It was a computer terminal error in the Seoul Korea airport. So we had to sit there. They said, because it's like getting a flat tire or just bad luck, we had to sit at the airport in Brisbane for like the three, three and a half hours that they made the other teams sit. And they took off and started running the rest of the race. Wow. Kind of shocking. <laughs> yeah, usually with a story like that, or well, no, there hasn't been really any other stories like that, but they frequently hold up the team so often with flights now and make everyone equal. This is the first scenario I can think of where teams were held up and then they went against uh, having everyone start at the same time. Right. And they just said they, they held up the other teams to investigate what had happened to us in Seoul, Korea. And, um, yeah, and we were like, what the heck? We were like in shock. We're like, we didn't understand. It was a, the credit card that's given to us by the CBS. You know, how could it not work? And um, yeah, so it, that was really rough. And what really got me is they never showed it on TV. They just kind of edited it like we were sitting down doing nothing. And we're like, oh my God, we got to go get, if I remember correctly, we got to go get our tickets. And we were late getting to the tickets and all that because several people, um, after our show aired and the finale aired, several people from past seasons um, came up to John and I said, come here, we got to talk to you off the record. What happened? Something went wrong with that. That made no sense what happened in the Seoul Korea airport. And we were like, uh, we couldn't say anything. And even in interviews, as we did interviews, we were asked that as well. And we're just like, oh, you know, we really couldn't really talk about it. Now it's so much, so many years later. I better not be slammed with a uh, lawsuit. <laughs> um, so yeah, after fifteen. This has been over fifteen years since your season filmed. I think we've had other teams mention stuff that they weren't supposed to talk about that aired over ten okay. years ago. I think it's past the point where CBS is going to clamp down anybody on our podcast. So, um, but it was very interesting, you know. And uh, but teams, and now that you mention it. Uh, someone from season three said something similar happened to them. But this person was very smart. And he said, I want the cameras rolling. And he said it right into the camera. This is what just happened. We got off of a plane and we're all running. And there was already a taxi cab or something like that waiting for one of the teams. And there was no way they could have ordered a taxi cab. So we're just saying this, you know, and I was like, really? So, yeah. So interesting things happen, you know. But that was a that was the lowdown, and we we were asked so many questions. What happened? And we were just, I mean, we were blown away too when we were eliminated, because I believe that was also the episode where you had to go on foot. Um, yeah, after doing 
if I remember correctly, the in Brisbane, uh, the Water World, where we had to go in the tank with the sharks. Yep. And I had to go into the shark to get it. And then it said, make your way on foot to the finish line. And I be, believe Chip and Riken drove there. Yeah, they drove, yeah. And, uh, you know, I always wondered, because then they slapped them with a penalty. And then I always wondered, why don't they say, I never understood this. Maybe you guys could shed some light on this. But why didn't they say, you know, you drove here. Instead of giving a penalty, you need to go back and complete the leg of the race correctly and not just give them a penalty and make them because they've done that in the past with some teams where they had to go back, you know, park the car wherever, and then make their way on foot to the finish line. I know sometimes with like the earlier seasons, I guess the rules were still a little bit inconsistent back then. Yeah. So I know there was the deal in second, in the second season where Blake and Kip Page's uh, car broke down, but that was the first time that happened. And right would have been last, so they gave them a time credit, and then they had to re-edit it to make it look like Hope and Norm were really last, and then after that, they permanently changed uh-huh. the rule. And I'm guessing with, maybe it was just two, yeah, that doesn't really make too much sense why they didn't just send the team back yeah. in the self-drive like to do it on foot. It's not like, because uh, they've done it with taxis too, where they send the team Absolutely. back to do it on foot and as they well. Said, you got to go back and do it the correct way. So I never understood that, but... Um, I did find out other scoop. I don't know if you want to know this too, but uh, later on, and very shortly after we air, um, we completed the Amazing Race. Um, we all got emails from Riken that said, uh, <laughs> "It was very interesting." He's like, oh, "We just want all of you to know, all the people, the racers, um, Chip and I are having our differences. So I'm really not sure how this is going to end up between us two. And I was like, "What?" I mean, I knew they just won a million dollars. And um, very interesting enough, when I was in the city, we were never allowed to trade emails or anything with any of the camera guys or the producers or anything like that to keep in touch with them. They weren't allowed to. But I was in the city one time and I was walking and I ran into someone who did casting and the cameras, uh, one of the camera guys, and started talking. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And they were doing, um, they were doing The Apprentice, I believe, at the time. And we were talking, and they told us that Chip and Riken actually were recruited for the show. Oh, one of the few recruits from the early seasons. Yeah, they were recruited because it was the uh, it was the season of like Queer Eye for the Straight Guy and all those kind of shows. And I said, how is, they were recruited? Because I actually started talking about, did you hear Chip and Riken? You know, they're not together any longer. And they're like, oh yeah, and. I asked another someone after I found out they were recruited, started to do a little research of my own and found out at the time of the show, they weren't a couple. They weren't together. And I was like, really? And I said, oh, they were recruited. So I go, wait a minute, that's fraud. So maybe they didn't, they're not the winners and we can move up another step. But uh, like second. <laughs> yeah, fourth place, third place, we're second place now. So, uh, but, you know, casting, of course, they said, no, when we recruit and we look for people, we go out and say, hey, we're looking for this type of person or this. And uh, they're the ones who either say, yes, we fit the bill or no, we don't. And I was like, oh, all right. But uh, so I found it very interesting. Um, And a lot of people have said, you know, so does that mean that they figure out who the winner is on the show and it's all, you know, pre-made? And I said, I don't think they could 100 percent 
decide who the winner is going to be. I think just like any TV shows or any production, they want to make it interesting. And um, they could sometimes, uh, you know, throw a little wrench in the works or do a little something to manipulate what happens. And as I watch, you know, all the reality shows and different things, you know, we know it's produced. We know there's directors and we know that different scenarios are thrown in there to make it a little bit more interesting and make it good for TV. What's interesting is that actually in our last, in a significant percentage of the interviews we've done, we've interviewed uh, Eric Sanchez and oh, yeah. we him and Danielle weren't really, <laughs> were pretending to be a couple for All Stars. And we interviewed Kelly off of Ron and Kelly for season seven, where they had essentially, they were, had already been broken up for a bit before yeah. uh, they went on their season. So. It sounds like it's something that stems back to the, to almost the very beginning of the Amazing Race, where you have uh, have pretend couples. Yes. Weirdly, Justin and Diana were pretending to be together for uh, the race as well. <laughs> yeah, that whole Icelandic proposal was just a big scam. It is a scam. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. So they don't even they don't even watch the Amazing Race. <laughs> they were like, "Wait, what's that? What show is that?" <laughs> they originally played for Survivor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so now that we know that Reichen and Chip were recruited and other things were maybe certain things that are influenced or manipulated by production, the one thing they always stick to year after year is that non-eliminations are predetermined. I know. Do you think eliminations are truly predetermined? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. That has been asked of me so many times. And... Um, you know, they swear up and down. And when we were meeting with them prior to running the race, they told us that everything, it is all predetermined. I think it's an extra tool for them that just in case they need to manipulate or do something, they could do it. I, do I think some of them are predetermined? Yes. Do I think that they could change that predetermined status? Yes, I think they could. Um, but you know what? A lot of people say that a lot of fans also say that, you know, it's not right that they have, Oh, you're not eliminated because this was a non elimination round. You know, why don't they do something a little bit more concrete where, you know, I don't know. I don't know how you would even do it in the show, but it shows them that, yeah, this round was also already predetermined before the race even started. A lot of people question that. Yes, and it's something that we've, that we've had other racers say where they've uh, questioned whether it's predetermined. I guess one case where it's a bit more concrete is where it's uh, to be conti- or a keep on racing like where Phil hands you the clue right away because no one ever gets eliminated on a round like that. Right. Except in international versions. Yes, true. Oh. <laughs> Latino America loves a TV continued elimination. Like, Oh, do they really? Yeah, they've done it a couple of times. Oh, nice. Very interesting. Yeah, they usually don't get eliminated. You know, they say, uh, yeah, it's to be continued and you keep on racing. And that was something new that they throwed in, threw in on uh, later versions, I believe, as well. Because I don't believe we had anything like that. No, not till season six when they they couldn't do a non-elimination hungry because it was illegal for teams to beg for money. So they yeah. just said, oh, this random halfway point is like a semi-equalizer slash pit stop. And then they just had the a super leg essentially go okay. on. And then several seasons later is when uh, Phil would just instant or, or no one season later is when Phil handed the, 
handed them the clue to keep going. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. Phil is, I have to say, um, everyone asked me, oh, is Phil really this nice? Is Phil really that nice? Our season, and I'm sure even when I see him these days, if I wind up being someplace, he is the most down-to-earth, genuine, wonderful person I've ever met as far as a host in that capacity. In our season, he would be carrying his own wardrobe. He would be doing his own makeup. He'd be running around and doing stuff, just trying to get things done. And yet you could sit and talk to him on the side. And, you know, he had no um, air about him. Wonderful, wonderful person. And uh, he's done some amazing things as well. I'm sure you guys are familiar with the ride that he did. Le ride. Le ride, yeah. French pronunciation. Oh, le ride. Um, yeah, I went to one of the opening nights of that. And I was pretty impressed with what he does and, you know, how he cares about the community and everything. But wonderful, wonderful host. Incredible host. Yeah, I've been lucky enough to meet him once at the season 28 finale. That was actually the, I've been to two amazing race finales, and that was the first one I went to. And he just happened to uh, be present at that one and got to talk to him uh, for about eh, maybe a solid 45 seconds or so. Really? Wow. That's short. <laughs> then he found out who Logan was and went, I'm not speaking to you anymore. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nah, Phil would never do that. No. <laughs> but what a great guy. Yeah. Everyone always asks me about him. They're like, he seems so nice. Is he really that nice? I go, oh, he's nicer than that. So genuine. And he would talk to John and I too afterwards at the uh, finale party. Um, because when the show ended, they actually kept us an extra day and we stayed in this big, uh, we had a party and they showed us one episode before it even aired. And he was just so complimentary of us and spoke with us and you know, he said, ah, if I could ever help you out with anything, let me know. And he's been a great guy. Wow. I'm surprised they actually kept you the, that they did that much for you guys back then. Because nowadays, it's such a short process for the teams. It's usually just 20 days of filming. There's no early show or major interviews with a couple of websites. C uh, CBS doesn't really put on any uh, parties anymore. It's just strictly up to the... Typically, whoever wins the season is the one that puts up puts on the finale parties now. Yeah, or the some of the fan groups, um, they will um, you know throw a get together, a, um, a finale showing. I've gone to a, many of them in New York City. I've gone to some in California, and you know I get asked over and over because a lot of people say they really, really, truly, and not just because I was on it. Um, they love The Amazing Race. They think it's a great concept. It's wonderful to travel around the world. Um, they, But they said, why does CBS, it's almost like the black sheep of the family. Their big thing is Survivor. And I said, you know, I don't know. I have no idea why. Maybe it brings in more money. Maybe, you know, who knows? Maybe it's more popular, more and more people watch it. But I know uh, Amazing Race more won more Emmys than uh, Survivor. <laughs> Yeah, and here in the Canada, we've had our own version for a few years, and even with our really small production budget, it gets nearly two million uh, uh, viewers per episode, and it went, just sweeps every award show year after year. Even though it's it's trimmed down so much to where it's uh, nine Canadian legs and just two international legs. Oh no, that's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And so I guess they're not going around the world. 
No, they did one round in Indonesia, one round in Mexico, and then everywhere else was in the same repeated regions all throughout Canada, and they had like seven dancing tasks. (laughs) They love to claim they go around the world, but everyone knows they don't. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of, um, because I met some people who are on the, do you remember the, um, the family season of The Amazing Race? Yes, we're actually interviewing Megan Lynn's uh, next, oh. hopefully next week. Oh, that's great. Oh, I've met a bunch of them at different events, but a lot of them were very disappointed in that. Supposedly, one of the, I can't remember her name, but she told me they didn't know, because that was a lot, most of it was done in the United States. And uh, she said she was very disappointed. She, didn't, she thought that it was going to be a regular leg of the uh, season of The Amazing Race traveling around the world. And she said, if I would have known that, I can't remember who it is though. It escapes my memory. Um, but she said, if I would have known it was that, I would have waited to try to get on later uh, seasons of The Amazing Race. Just abandon the family? Yep, abandon the family, go with the hubby and that's it. <laughs> yes, we know that, uh, I think it was Margie and Luke were in the semifinals of casting for Family Edition. And I think they were very lucky to uh, wait however long they did because they managed to get uh, three appearances on the Amazing Race out of it. I know. I know. He's amazing, though. He's a good guy, too. Oddly enough, I was in Philadelphia one time just walking, visiting friends and happened to walk into some restaurant or something, and Luke was there, and I was like, oh, my gosh, hey, how you doing, and carried on. So just out of the blue. Wow, he was all – because I know he's normally based in Colorado, if I'm not mistaken. I think, yeah, he was usually on the West Coast. Yeah, yeah, it was years and years ago, but for whatever reason, he was in Philly. But it was kind of cool. But, yeah, he was lucky. They were both lucky that they uh, waited because they did get on all those. We would have loved to do um, one of the All-Stars, John and I. We really wanted to. We were kind of trying to campaign. Were you ever asked? Well, this is very interesting. Um, At the time, we were doing... Stom was doing something for CBS and someone came up to him and said, Hey, congratulations. I heard you guys are going on the all-stars. And John was just like, no, we're not. And he goes, no, no, no. I was in on conversations with it. I know, but don't worry. You know, I won't between you and I. And John said, no, we weren't asked to go on there. And he said, the guy just kind of like clammed up and was like, Oh, Oh, okay. And walked away. So when, when was it? We saw Phil, maybe it was when we did a Miami reunion or something. Um, and John and I actually approached Phil and asked him after the All-Stars. And we're just like, you know, what was that deal? We were pretty popular. We were popular on the website. Um, people really enjoyed us. And actually, Phil said, and, you know, this is just coming what he said. I never did any research. He said one of the producers said we were too nice and we didn't make for good television. We didn't backstab anybody. We didn't, um, you know, get into any major arguments or fights. And he says, and that doesn't make good television. But we were one of the top five teams. I definitely would have played it a little different. But I guess we should have been meaner on the show. Yeah, the next time that Millie has an asthma attack, you know, just chuck that inhaler uh, into the beaches, uh, into the waters of Venice. Running. Oh, my God. I'll never forget that. That was in Venice, Italy. And we were, oh my gosh, we were, we felt so bad. And you know what? It's just naturally who we were. 
here she was having the asthma attack, ready to pass out. And Chuck was like, oh, what are we going to do? All the other teams are running for the train. And what do we do? We stop and give her some water. Are you okay? And just watch everyone get on the train and the train pull away. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were called many a names for doing that. But, you know, it was just our natural instincts just kind of kicked in and we did what we would have usually have done. So, oh, well. It's why you need that diversity of personalities on the show. You Like, with Amazing Race Canada, they like to portray everybody as nice and have zero drama between teams at all. But with especially with your guys this season, you have to have that balance between people who are a bit more conniving and yeah. have a bit more authentic reaction to what they would do in certain situations. Like, I'm guessing if Kelly and John see Millie having an asthma attack, I don't see them hanging around to give her water while the train uh, takes off. Oh, no, I don't think so. They may drop her a little note that says, hey, Millie the Mole, <laughs> and keep running or something like that, or call uh, uh, him the Wolfman or something like that. Wolfman, Wolf, I think they called him. Were you guys yeah. aware that they were calling them those names while filming? Um... We knew about, yeah, there was some times where we kind of overheard some stuff in the background. It was on, I think it was on a train in India that we heard them saying stuff. And we were just like, oh my gosh, man, how cruel. Because it was like, they were serious about it. And they were, you know, really making fun of them. And I'll tell you, everyone who asked me with The Amazing Race, the first week or two, because we were out there. We were definitely out there more than 20 days. I know that. Um, I don't know if it was like four weeks or something like that. But in the first couple of weeks, you're running and you're like, this is exciting. I'm on a TV show. By the middle, you are getting so exhausted and like mentally, emotionally, physically. And by the end, I was spent. I was hoping that the I couldn't wait for the race to be over. I was like, this needs to be over. My body is aching. I cannot do this. So, um when they're making fun of other teams and again, it's just in my nature. I was a little bit like, man, how mean is that, man? We're all suffering here. And, you know, but I'll tell you a lot of people like that. And uh, the production loves that when they do it, they'll definitely focus in on that a lot more. So we did know that they were doing it. Didn't like it so much. Didn't really join in with them, but just kind of like, listen. But again, we didn't even stick up and say, don't say that. Because you didn't want to make enemies as well. Yeah, I can't imagine what it would have been like if you guys had yields and U-turns on your season. Do you think it would just would have been automatic for Kelly and John and Millie and Chuck to U-turn and yield each other all season long? Oh, absolutely. They would have been they would have been at each other's throat. And even I'll tell you, early on, um, Riken was a little aggressive in the very beginning. Early on, I think it was in uh, Italy. When he's holding the doors. Yeah, when he was holding the doors, it's like, get out. And I actually was talking to the, because I was able to speak a little Italian, and I was talking to the bus, and I'm like, hey, what's going on? And like, no, these doors aren't opening. I will take you to the other one. And, of course, what did I do early on? Tell everybody, hey, guys, this bus is going to the other station. Duh, I should have just got on the bus and said take off. Um, and then it was the funniest thing, because Riken was holding those doors, and he's like, okay, I guess I'm just going to let him go and get on the bus. So it was pretty funny, but... And I had a little argument. They never showed it on TV. When we were in Marseille, France, we just drove all night. We all parked and uh, we were all in line. And then uh, Chip and Riken come up and they were, you know, they were like, hey, we're going to, you know, 
cut the line, and I think it was Jerry uh, and Tian. Yeah, they were at yeah. the front. They were waved to the front of the line. Yeah, too. they went to the front as well. And um, Riken got out of his car, and I we slept in the car, and he just came up to me and started uh, digging into me about how he knew we were out to get him and that we were trying to uh, eliminate him and we were ganging up on them. And I was so like tired, exhausted. I just started yelling at him and being like, you know what? When you see this show on TV, you're going to owe me an apology. <laughs> and I just walked away. <laughs> but I was like, where did he get it that we are out to get him and we are like ganging up on him? John and I were like, what? Where does he get this information? But you never know. People might see something or say something uh, just to get them against us. Maybe balancing a pen on your nose or a clue on your nose is the equivalent to biting your thumb at Riken and Chip. You never yeah, know. Yeah, you know, they probably looked at that like, uh, how dare you He's do that? You can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. We were in the Korean airport doing that, balancing all that stuff. It was so funny. And people were like, how, how were you guys doing that when um, – you know, you knew your life was on the line. You weren't getting on that plane. And we were just like, you know what? We couldn't sit there and just do and be upset about it. We were just like, you know what? Once we get on that plane, we're going to just give it our all and just try to get there. We never, ever gave up. That was one thing that was great. Um, I would have loved to be a little bit more. And I think being older now and watching the shows and seeing what goes on, I think I would have definitely, definitely been a, would have been a little bit more aggressive and competitive. I started out really being competitive, but then the um, caring side of me and John as well, you know, kind of took over and we were like, eh. But uh, these days, you know, I look at it and I'm like, forget that, man. I'd be like, here, Millie, here's a cup of water. I'll see you on the train. <laughs> uh, but it was good. Good time. Do you think that, because uh, in your guy, for the first dozen or so seasons, you guys got to interact with each other at the pit stops. Do you think yeah. now that they sequester the teams from each other during the pit stops that you wouldn't be doing things like uh, staying behind with the team when they're having an asthma attack or just being kind and ca uh, caring people towards your fellow competitors? Yeah, I think so, because you're not uh, creating that bond between them and getting to know them. So they're just, to you, another stranger that you're just like, you know what, we're in this, we're both in this from the million dollars. And, uh, you know, I don't know much about you, you don't know much about me, but you're my competitor, and I'm going for it. Um, we did, we spent a lot of time with Chuck and Millie, and we talked to them, and um, I remember in Austria, we actually got a um, hotel. So we did definitely bond with them. And uh, had a good conversation and good friendship with them. So, um, yeah, I think keeping them sequestered, I think that helps to improve the competition between them. Did any of those Austrian uh, late night map readings or figuring out the tasks, did any of that help at all for that lake? Absolutely not. <laughs> we stayed up all night figuring what they're going to ask us, and we were 100% wrong. <laughs> Did you at least know the difference between mooned and mooning? I did. Yes, I did. And I was really good with reading and making sure very clearly what we were going for. When the one, to, uh, who was it? Was it Jeff? Uh, no. Russell and Cindy messed oh, up. Oh, Russell and Cindy, yeah. It was mooning and gmoond, and gmoonding. And um, yeah, that was a bad, oh, I felt bad for them. But yeah, we definitely did well with that. But that was the leg where, 
um, we had to bring the big cello to the Beethoven house. And John and I ran right past the Beethoven house. Otherwise, we would have been up there and the leader of the pack. And um, the other teams behind us snuck in. And it took us about 30, 45 minutes before we figured out we were right here in the very beginning. We were running everywhere. It, it's so important to, like, keep your head on straight and don't panic and think about what you're doing before you start running the race. And uh, we definitely did not do that, that leg of the race. Yeah, you got duped by Monica and Cherie of all teams uh, during uh, that during that task. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I, I'll never forget that. And I was like, man, we were right there. And then when I saw it on TV, I'm like, I cannot believe they did that to us. But, uh, hey, it's a race, and they were in it to win it. So, uh, yeah, those type of lessons that I've learned, I'm like, all right, that's the way to play the game. That's the way to do it. So, uh, but I'll tell you, a lot of people who were our fans or people that we knew, um, even they would tell us, you know, you guys still put on a great competition. You raced hard and you didn't really, you know, backstab anyone or do anything really too evil. And I'm like, yeah, tell it to me again. That's why we're not on the All-Stars. <laughs> but they appreciated it, though. Yeah, if, they ever, if you ever get a call for, well, the next one's All-Stars, but after, if there's another All-Star after this, maybe you just have to, when you get the call, like just start cursing them out on the phone, or if it's in person, start spitting oh, on their absolutely. shoes. There's oh, so many things you can yeah. do out to boost your chances. Oh, I'm telling you. Actually, I think, and I actually, um, this summer I was uh, up in Provincetown, and one guy from season three, Kenny, he was up oh, there. We had to, Yeah, yeah, and we met. We met up for lunch. And we said, let's take a picture. And Kenny was a wise guy. He always jokes me because he's like, we came in third place and you came in fourth place. And I said, please, we were most popular. I think we were like something like 96, 97% popularity. Yeah, I wrote that down in my notes when they did the CBS popularity polls on their website. It was 96%. And as long as they ran that CBS popularity poll, no one ever eclipsed 96%. Yeah, I, and I love that. And do you know, in the beginning of our season, uh, when they announced that there were two clowns on it, you guys probably know this because you guys know a lot more than I even do. Um, they didn't like us in the beginning. And it was all on the blogs and people were talking about it. They were like, oh, how stupid clowns. This is dumb. This is. And I mean, we, John and I were not ready for that. We were like, oh, my gosh, we're being blasted online and people are saying mean things about us. And they, it wasn't they want you to shoot out of a cannon. Yeah, you know, he was a big shot. But uh, they just didn't get it with the clowns. But as we ran the race, they actually started something that said, I'm in the clown car. I have my red nose. I'm in the clown car. And everyone's like, are you in the clown car? And it just took a turn for the better. So it made us feel a lot better. But that takes a toll on you when people are talking about you and talking bad about you and saying you're stupid. This is dumb clowns. Who wants to see clowns? Um, yeah, I wasn't ready for that. But getting back to the story with Kenny, um, so we took a picture and he says, let's post. He took a picture of him and I and he goes, let's post it. Let's see how many likes I get and how many um, comments I get. And let's see how many you get. So he took his picture. I took my picture and I wrote um, uh, spoiler. Uh, um, CBS is going to do third and fourth place teams against each other. You know, watch soon or something like that. And within like 10 minutes, Kenny was looking at it. We were having lunch. He's like, oh, my gosh, Al, you got 10 likes, and I only got two likes. 
oh my God, you got four comments. Oh my goodness, you're up to 92 likes and I only have 20. So I said, yeah, now you see who they really liked. But I will tell you, I got so many emails, so many phone calls of people being like, is this for real? Are you really going back? Are you really going back? And I was like, no, 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 this was a joke. But it, it really gave me an idea because Kenny and I started talking about that. And we're like, wouldn't it be cool to do old school versus new school of teams on The Amazing Race? Like the old timers, I don't want to call old timers, but versus these younger people, because I've witnessed and other people have witnessed that they have given these new teams, I don't know what seasons, but like they gave them um, an upgrade to first class. They gave them places to sleep. They gave them clothes to wear when it got really cold. And I was like, we didn't have any of that. So um, I don't know. I thought that was pretty cool. And Kenny's like, I know. I wonder if we'd be able to do it because we're, you know, we could figure it out more than the younger generation. So there's an idea for you. So with old school new versus new school, because we're going to see a, an ounce of that uh, next season. Right. Uh, How much do you know about next season? Just I don't know. I don't know much about it. I just know. It was like do you know who's on it? I don't. Tell me. So the main attraction for us is the fact that Colin and Christy are back. Oh, they are? Yeah. Ah, I didn't so know the, that. All right. The Amazing Race teams are Colin and Christy, Becca and Floyd, uh, Leo and Jamal again. Uh, who else? It's uh, Art, Art, Art and JJ. Um, and... The Afghanistan guys? Yeah. Yeah, the Afghanimals. And who's the other one? Tyler and Corey. Oh, really? All right. Wow. So it's like all newer teams and then Colin and Christy just randomly thrown in there. That's interesting. Wow. Huh. I don't know. That's interesting. I'm gonna, I mean, I watch it. I'm going to watch it all the time. But it would be interesting to see. I've talked to Justin and them because I was talking to them and they were um, – I was like, you guys were – I think it was his season where they gave them – all of a sudden, they all ended up in the same place to sleep while they were waiting. And I'm like, what was that all about? And he said it was arranged by production. I'm like, that's ridiculous. We slept on the sides of roads. That's crazy. But um, yeah, I don't know. It just seems like they treated them a little bit better. Maybe I'm just um, biased. <laughs> Some of the accommodations they've got that have been arranged by, like all the overnight accommodations waiting for route markers are mostly arranged by production now, but some of them haven't been the nicest. Like uh, season 26's first uh, overnight arrangement by production was in an office that was dominated by uh, office employees watching uh, anime porn. Really? And the showers were clogged, and they said it was just the most disgusting place they've ever slept in. I get now. Is that did they give them that place to sleep when it was a um, when they checked in? No, it wasn't the pit stop. It was oh, it wasn't a pit or, stop. Michael was the pit stop. Michael? It was the first pit stop location because it was as the blind dating couples were getting to know each other was in the midst of an office building where everyone was just watching hentai. Wow, that's interesting. And that was the blind date edition. I got to ask Bergen about that because I see Bergen all the time, not all the time, but we do. um, You guys should come out to there. We do Reality Rally. Have you ever heard of that? That's the one in Temecula? Yeah. Yeah, we haven't. I haven't. I've been trying to get to that one, but I've never I've never been to it. No. Oh, I've done. um, 
I've done a bunch of different uh, fundraisers and charity events. And I would tell you by far that one was just phenomenal the way it worked out. And really all the money went to the Michelle's place. So I've done it for the past five, six years. And I always see Bergen out there and we always catch up on all the stuff. But I got to ask him about that. Yeah, it's something that they kept quiet for a little bit. I can't remember who told us originally. I think it might have been Mike and Rochelle told us about that. It was um, my my source at the time who told us, and then I uh, confirmed it was Mike and Rochelle when we spoke to them. Right, uh, right. Source. Yes, we had a source in production for a couple of seasons. That's cool. <laughs> that's but but they've never like our season. They never gave us a place to sleep unless it was at a pit stop. They never once. And I've seen on other subsequent seasons that they've given them places to sleep or they arrange something. And I've also seen it where they've given them like bags of clothes when it was really cold out. And I'm like, what? And I'm a little surprised at that. Yeah, they actually did start doing that. I think the season immediately after your guys' season, because I remember in the Calgary uh, part of the final episode, Chip and Kim and Colin and Christy and Brandon Nicole all had the matching uh, Canada jackets and winter gear when That's they right. were up on the slopes. <laughs> and I never understood that because what they told us when we finally, I, I actually, I didn't know it was just audio, but I got a whole bunch of my scrapbook stuff from The Amazing Race and I was looking through it, you know, reminiscing. But what they told us, their actual words were, be prepared for eight weeks of travel in all extreme climates of the world. When we finally got the call that we were accepted. And I was like, all right. And I remember saying, oh, do I do it in a backpack? And they're like, we're telling all the teams the same thing. Be prepared for eight weeks of travel in all extreme climates of the world. And that's all we can tell you. So I was like, all right. And it was hard to figure out how to pack for cold weather, hot weather, rainy weather. So, you know, we didn't have some of the warmest stuff but you had to just stick it out and do it so when i was seeing them giving them these parkas i'm like uh what's going on here yeah you guys filmed in the middle of january and february if i'm not mistaken correct yeah we ended i think like february 11th or something well yeah, and you guys spent a lot of spent all the first five rounds in uh colder climates in europe yeah it was freezing. I'll never forget it. It was cold. And then we went right from the cold weather. Then they sent us to like India and I actually got sick. Or we went to Amsterdam and then India and I got really, really sick. Something in Amsterdam. I don't know what. I was like laying out and I was like, John, I don't know what I'm going to do. I am sick as a dog. But, uh, you know, was able to battle through it. And when we got to India, that's when we got to Mumbai. It was like 1130 at night. That was an incredible sight. I was like blown away. We got to the um, Bollywood studios and it was late at night and it didn't open till nine o'clock in the morning. And I was like, I put on this uh, bug repellent and I just laid on the side of the road and John's like, you're going to bed now? I'm like, uh, yeah, the quicker I go to the bed, the quicker the morning's here. And I wake up in the morning, I got bit by something on my eye. So my whole eye was swollen. And they said, if you want medical, you know, we can give you medical, but it'll take away from your racing time. So uh, there's one little scene of me on the bicycle because um, I lost my glasses. So I told John, give me your glasses because I don't want I don't want to be on TV with this big swollen eye. <laughs> so uh, there's one little scene of me on the bicycle and you can see it with the glasses on. But that was quite a leg of the race as well. That India. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And that episode, especially the Mumbai leg, 
Well, the tasks wasn't really the focus, or uh-huh. even forget that Monica and Cherie were even eliminated that episode. Yeah. It was more about just you guys going through probably the most severe, some of the most severe culture shock we've ever seen on The Amazing Race. Oh, that was incredible. I, we, it was crazy. We were just beyond ourselves, you know, just looking at the where we were, the culture, the people, the way they live. We were in shock. And, um, yeah, that was quite quite an event when we did that. Did you or John ever get groped on the train? No, we didn't. We did not get groped. But the trains, when I tell you people were hanging off the trains, we had to literally push and fight our way to get in there. And we got on and we literally just pushed people just to get in. And it was packed. And I felt for the ladies, you know, because – you know, they didn't know that there was another train separate for women. And when they were on that train, I'm like, there's no way. It's all men. How are they going to do this? I couldn't believe it. And yeah, sure enough, they got groped. And we were talking to them. They said it was ridiculous. They were screaming. They were yelling, get your hands off me. Stop touching me. And it was a uh, culture shock, to say the least. Yeah, if only uh, the Taekwondo training task in Korea came just a few rounds earlier, could have yeah. offended <laughs> all the attackers. Oh, that was funny. That was. Let me tell you, Korea was. That was one of the most difficult tasks that I had to do. Was and I was just looking through USA Today had me a, a picture of me in my underwear going in when we had to go to that lake, and they cut the hole in the lake and you had to dive under it and swim like twenty five feet and come out. Everyone asked me what was the most difficult task, and I knew I was going to do anything with swimming because John wasn't a good swimmer, and he would do anything with heights because I hate heights. And, and you get to do I, face first down the side of the Brisbane yep, building. That was in Brisbane. Let me tell you, that scared the hell out of me too. But uh, this ice dive thing, they told us, and I knew it was serious because it was like three ambulances on site. We had to go in. They put like oil on our body, and these doctors were like hitting our body to like us. I don't know, get the blood circulation going. And they said, if you go in and you can't make the swim on the first try, you have to come out and we got to wait for your body to get at a certain temperature. And we, at that time, we were sharing a um, cab, I believe with Jeff and Dave. And we're like, oh my God, they're going to leave without us. But when I got into that water, I didn't have an ounce of air in my lungs. It was so cold. I swam it as quick as I could, got out. And John said he just looked at my face and he says in the top of my forehead, he could see this, this like vein popping out of my forehead. And he goes, half of your face was blue. <laughs> he says it was the weirdest thing. He goes, I, he, you know, and then they put this heat gun on you and these blankets. But he goes, I just looked at you and I was like, oh, my God, what the heck's happening to him? He's turning blue. But it was freezing. It was so cold. And I've talked to people after that, a doctor once, he goes, yeah, that type of thing could put your body into shock. And I'm like, oh, so I guess that's why they had the ambulances there. (laughs) Not elimination leg in uh, Korea. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, really. But that was quite, yeah, that was quite, that was, that was a great one too. Boy, we had really good, you know, I think our season and the early seasons, they have such interesting places that we've gone to. And um, tasks that we had to do. Now that I think about it all. And and I, I believe, I, I Kenny was telling me this, now they only travel about um, 19,000 miles, 20,000 miles. Is that what you guys heard? 
think it's been roughly around that for some of the more recent seasons. About 2025 normally, I think. Okay. Because what I did is, and this is interesting, we were told that we weren't allowed to have, you know, because I memorized my frequent flyer miles. Because I figured, oh, I might as well get some miles (laughs) while I travel. But we were told we're not allowed to do that because people would try to figure out where we are and they'll report it, et cetera. So what I did is I saved all my ticket stubs. And when I came home, I rode away to all the airlines and I got like 46,000 miles on the airlines. So I'm like, wow, we did a lot more. Wow. Yeah, it was a bunch. I remember it was a lot. It definitely was more than 20,000 miles. But um, so I was a little surprised. And yeah, Kenny told me that they do it in about 19 days now as well. Yeah, your guys' was 27 days of actual filming. And how long were you guys in that preseason sequester for? Um, the preseason sequester? You mean before before we actually raced? Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think. It was, I felt like it was a couple days, like one or two days or three days, something like that. I don't know if Did I'm confusing that with um, – because we went – at one time we went to Santa Monica just to meet with them. And I think it was two days, a day. Yeah, I think it was two days, if I remember correctly, before did we you, raced. Did you size up any of the other teams or any teams that you initially looked at and thought they were going to do really well or teams that surprised you? We tried to. John and I followed the rules by the book. We wouldn't talk to anyone or do anything. Um, interesting enough, at the time, John was in the circus at the time. Steve and who's the other guy? Dave. Um interesting enough, after we did our final interview in California, Sacramento, John was at the circus in Chicago. And one of those two guys was at the circus. And John was as a clown. He's like, hey, how are you? How was your trip to Sacramento? And the guy's like, what the hell? How does he know I was just in Sacramento? (laughs) And uh, it was funny. The first leg of the race, when we were traveling in limos, um, John was trying to tell him through sign language because we weren't allowed to talk in the limo um, that don't you remember the three rings? And he kept pointing to his wedding ring, ring three. But afterward, he told him, yeah, you came to the circus. You walked right up to me. And I said, and the guy said, I totally remember that. And I was like, is this guy a member of production or something like this? Or was he in on the interviews or what's going on? So uh, we definitely sized him up and we knew a little bit about some of them. You know, we tried to figure out what they were doing. Uh, we knew Chip and Riken were California boys. Um, I don't know how, but we knew it. Oh, I think during the interview, we found out that as well. So, yeah, we tried to figure out who are the people that maybe we would work with, who are the people that maybe would be a problem. Um, didn't always um, deem true, but uh, it's always nice to try to figure it out. What was the most wrong you were about a team going into the race? Just one assessment where there was a complete 180. Um, good question. Most wrong. I'm trying to think. Um, I don't know. Maybe, you know what? I think John and Kelly, I think when we first, I knew we thought they were just like really cocky, really not nice people. They would make fun of people all the time. But in the long run, we actually became really good friends with them. And we actually met after the show. We went down to Miami and met up with them. Um, But I think in the beginning, I was just like, oh, my gosh, these people are just so conceited, so full of themselves. I wouldn't trust them with anything. And they really wound up being really, really nice, nice people. And actually, when I told you about that, when we were eliminated, 
Kelly actually talked to us. She goes, you wouldn't believe it. Last night I had a dream and I had a dream that it was either John and I going to get eliminated or you and um, you and John getting eliminated. And I was, I liked you guys so much. And I was like, no, John, let's just slow down and let the clowns go ahead of us. Let them be, we'll get eliminated. I'm like, what? But she says, yeah, you know, I had the dream. I guess it was just like, you know, just thinking positive things about you guys. She was really upset when we got eliminated too. I remember that. So I think going in there and thinking of them as very, very mean people and finding out that they, you know, they were in it, they were racing just like anyone else, but they're two good people. With the Korea leg, do you think what would have made the task even better is if they had a hole drilled in on the nearby North Korea side and you guys had to swim between North and South uh, Korea? Oh, that would have made headlines all over. But funny story, our cab, again, the communication there was impossible. He was driving, and I swear to you, as we were driving, trying to explain, go up to this lake, we started passing military. And we saw tanks, and I saw military people, and I knew about the DMZ and all that. And I'm like, wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. Turn around, go back, go back, go back. And those guys were like, what are you talking about? I go, no, no we are definitely in the wrong place turn around and go back because we saw in the distance and I literally saw tanks and military people. And I knew we were in an area that we should not be in. There's nobody's, there's no uh, clown, there's no circus tents uh, nearby. No, there was nothing there that we'd be able to earn a couple extra bucks, do some street performing. I don't think it would have been a pretty thing if we kept going. Just shoot, shoot a can if John comes out of a cannon and lands yeah. in the palace of Kim Jong-un. <laughs> Yeah, shoot him in one of those missiles. <laughs> See, John, woo, here the we go. The first Korean missile testing involving John. Yeah. <laughs> involving an American clown. <laughs> that would have made headlines all over the place. Yeah, Dennis Rodman would have had nothing on him. Yeah, we would have been good friends with old, good old Kim Jong-un. <laughs> been like, yeah, come on, do a show for us. You're not leaving, but do a show. Uh, so yeah, that was scary. I remember seeing that. Uh, it was funny. I believe Bertram was saying they did have like a one of the tasks. They always have different tasks that you might do. One of them was something like a miniature golf course that was like right on the North Korea and South Korea border or something that they considered doing. And I was like, really? I think that would be interesting. Trying to plan out whenever I, I travel quite a bit. Um, or I did, I worked for a cruise line and I also did a bunch of traveling with circuses. And whenever I go to a different location, I'm always like trying to envision what a leg, what would be the perfect leg of the amazing race and different tasks to do. So uh, I think that would be cool, planning out one of those legs of the amazing race. Yeah, just trying to come up with stuff that comes completely out of left field. Yeah. The starting line where you guys actually started in left field of Dodger Stadium. We did. That was crazy, too. We were like, they drove us around in those limos. They picked us up, no kidding, like 3 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning. And I just remember they brought our backpacks to us and our passports. And they marched us down, put us in these limos, and all the windows were blocked out, and just drove us around for a couple hours. And next thing you know, they open the limo, and they say, you're just going to walk out or straight down and go right to the field. And we were like, where the hell are we? We had no idea. But, uh, yeah, we were out in left field. All the backpacks were out there, ran out. And that was also the one where 
I think it was Tian and Cherie's car, the back of it, the hatchback wouldn't latch. Yeah, it wouldn't close. Yeah. So they had to ask for another car. And I'm like, wow, what a way to start out the season. It was crazy. Speaking of Tian and Cherie, do you think they would have been eliminated a lot earlier? Because Tian did every single roadblock for them uh, all the way to the end of their race. And two seasons later, they've adopted a rule where now teams have to, for the most part, they've done a couple seasons with exceptions, but all of the teams have to do an equivalent number of roadblocks. Yes, I think they would have. If they had to do that, they definitely would have. Because um, Jury, first of all, the backpacks, I remember after the first leg, they had to like throw out stuff because they had so much stuff. And they were always at each other's throat. They were always fighting. And I'm like, oh, this is not going to end pretty. But I, I definitely think if they had that rule, they wouldn't have been able to uh, go as far as they did. Yeah, jury just wasn't ideal for a lot of the roadblock tasks that you guys nope. had during the season. Nope. And I, I also felt like she kind of gave up quickly. You know, she's like, oh, I just can't do this. How am I going to do this? You know, very negative, very negative. And then on the contrast, you have Tian, who was the first woman to do that uh, bowl-hanging task that you guys did near the finishing point. Wait, which one was that? The, the Where the you guys had to hang on to that to uh, grip yeah. thing as the bowls pull you through the mud. She was the very first woman to do that. Right, in right. The newspapers. The bowl pulling. Yeah, that was good. That was a great task. I'll never forget that one. And uh, and you know what? I didn't even realize it said that there was goggles available. So I just jumped. John just kept telling me, go, go, go. We got to go, go, go. And I just jumped in there, grabbed the bulls. And uh, let me tell you, I got a mouthful and a face full of that stuff. It was horrible. And we just kept running. But uh, yeah, she was tough. <laughs> what was that? And that's already with an infected eye. Yeah, with an infected eye. <laughs> oh, those are the fun days. Boy, oh, boy. Yeah, that was a great. That was another great leg when we had the. And I think was that where was that? Was that Malaysia? No, that was in India because you guys rode the elephant. That was the roadblock, and before that, you, or just after that, you guys had to ride on the uncomfortable elephants. Correct, right? And we had to deliver the um, rugs or the no cotton or something. Yep. And uh, yeah, that was fun. And John and I were used to riding elephants, so we were like, "Oh, this is old hat. This is no problem." Because I believe we had to either do the chickens, capture the chickens in the little bike and deliver them, or do the elephants. So we knew we were doing the elephants. That was fun. That brought back good memories from the circus. Not so, not so much good memories for David and Jeff from what we saw. Yes, not so good. <laughs> oh, God. They were good. They were. We called them guys the goats because they had little goatees. So that was our nickname for them, the goats. It didn't stand for greatest of all time. Oh, no. Boy, I should have thought about that. John would grab them by their little goatee and like, oh, the goats, and just grab them like that. Uh, yeah, they, and we also gave them some, was it them or John and Kelly, when we did the palm oil nuts in Malaysia, and they couldn't find where the clue was. And again, what did we do? We said, oh, right back there in the wheelbarrow. I remember that as well. And they were, that was hard to do, that palm, those palm nuts. Because when you go to grab the palm nuts, there was actually these little stickers in them. And we didn't know there was gloves. I believe there was gloves available too. And we were just grabbing them and throwing up. And we got all these little stickers in our hands. 
But John would John would go at a thousand miles an hour, and he'd be like, "Come on, Al, go, 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 go." And I'm like, "Chill out a minute, just chill out, give me a break." But uh, eh, got us far. So John, between these tasks, it sounds like he's not much of a safety first kind of guy. Oh no, oh my god! Even on the circus, John was just like, "Do first, think later." He would just go balls to the wall, just do it, whatever he had to do. And he was not good at directions. That's why I always did the directions. Anytime I asked for him for directions, he would always screw them up. Do you think those were your guys' two greatest assets between the two of you? John being aggressively pushing forward, doing the tasks as quickly as possible, and then you being the one that was able to be patient and examine directions? Because you guys had a lot of uh, brutal self-drive legs, too. Yeah, that definitely was key for us. Because I always told him, I would always be like, John, just slow down, pull to the side or drive. You know, I think we were in a boat one time. I'm like, just drive, stay in the area. Let me find out where we're going. Why go if we're going in the wrong direction? You know, we're wasting time. Let me just find out where we are. And I would usually, I was pretty good with maps. I would find out the map and right away I'm like, all right, go up here, make a right, make a left. Um, but John would just want to jump into a car and just take off and just go. But that would... You know, and I knew from other teams that would hurt you because next thing you know, you're 20 minutes in the wrong direction and you got to go 20 minutes back. So that's 40 minutes that you just wasted. Um, one of the legs of the race when we had to go, it was, a, I believe, in Malaysia when we would go to uh, Kota Kinabalu. We were in traffic and we had to get to, yeah, we had to get to these boats to bring us to the island. And all of a sudden, John just out of the blue opens the door, says, jumps out of the door, says, come on, Al, we're going to run. We're going to run to the boat. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And he starts running, and the camera guy said, get in the car. You don't just take off without anybody and started yelling at John a little bit. One of the very few times they spoke with us. and But he would do that. He would just act first and think later. And I was like, you know, you got that guy all pissed off at us. But we later found out that the camera team's and sound guys were uh, kind of rooting for us. They really liked us. We were in India, and one of them, they were leaving. As teams were eliminated, the sound guy and camera guys would be eliminated and obviously go home because they weren't needed. And we were sitting on a couch in the lobby, and they kind of sheepishly just walked by and said, just want you to know we're all rooting for you too. Go all the way. And we were, that gave us like a renewed, like, wow, that's cool, because they were not really supposed to say anything to us. How much do the self-drive legs take out of you? Because we've season 27 had zero self-drive legs. Season 28 only had one. And then we've just had a couple of self-drive legs over the past couple seasons. Is that the most exhausting part of the race where it's just entirely self-navigation? Yeah. And you're, and you're, you're not only, well, John did a lot of the driving when we were in Marset when we went from, I believe it was Le Mans. Was it Le Mans? Down to Marseille when they did the race car down to the uh, seaport. He did the driving all through the night, and I'll tell you, you're cramped in the car. There's four of you, and you know you got to still keep track of where you're going because you don't want to get lost, and um, you don't get any rest. That's why the next day, that's when I had the argument with uh, Riken, and uh, yeah, you're just exhausted. And you know, I'm sure you've traveled or had to sleep in a car before. It's not very restful. No, I've done the overnight sleeping in an airport a couple of times, and yeah. 
you're not you don't feel too refreshed uh when when you wake up if you have if you have been able to fall asleep and have the opportunity to wake up yeah it, it was just oh and it was all night and you just didn't want to get lost so it takes a lot out of you i mean i think it's a good strategy for the race to do to really wear out the racers um but i i hated it i didn't like any of those overnight drivings you guys had 27 days of filming, so I assume you probably had a couple of 36-hour pit stops during your season? I think there was two. Yeah, I believe there was two 36 hours. Do you remember which those were? Wait, was it was it 36 hours or 24? No, it must have been 36, yeah. 12, 24, 36. Um, do I remember which ones they were? God, that's a good question. Um because usually you guys, like the ones who get the 36-hour pit stop, there's usually some sort of memorable excursion, like one, they got to do a little bit of a safari or be able to really socialize with the other teams and wind down. Yeah. I, do, I think one of them – oh, man, I don't remember. i got to try to figure that out. I think one of them, for some reason, we stayed on a houseboat. Yeah. In, I believe it was India, or south of India. We stayed on a houseboat, and they actually – it definitely was because they gave us a tour through these villages that were on the water, and we saw kids, and um, we would be, like, throwing kids, like, a pencil in a soda bottle, empty soda bottle, and they would be jumping in the water, swimming over to it just for the pencil or for the piece of paper that we put in there. And there was these kids – I mean, we wouldn't be sitting there doing stuff like that if we were in a race. So it was definitely that. We, I remember we stayed on the houseboat and that, oh my gosh, it was so hot on those houseboats. And, um, you know, they had fans and that we had to sleep under mosquito nets on the houseboat. And in the middle of the night, the guy would turn it off the electric, the generator. So there was no fan and we were sweating like, oh, like dogs. It was horrible. And then the next day they made food for us and this guy was chopping up stuff and I'm looking at him chopping the stuff on this wooden board that was dirty. And I was like, oh my God, I don't think I could eat this, John. <laughs> so every time he gave me something, I would be throwing it over the side of the boat. And then the next thing though, all these ducks, cause I guess they were duck farmers. Um, they were on the side of the boat, hundreds of them, eating all the food that I was throwing off the side of the boat. It was like rice and all this stuff, but it was, ugh, couldn't eat it at all. But what? I definitely know that was one of the, yeah, the long versions because we did that. And that's where Reichen and Chip celebrated their quote-unquote wedding anniversary. Yes. Being together. Isn't that funny when they said, oh, this is how long we've been. <laughs> I, and I think another one might have been, because I think we all got a, good, got a chance to go to that Sepalak orangutan sanctuary as well. Yeah. That was Malaysia, because I remember we all got to go in there, and they took us all in. We got to see him. And, you know, some people got to feed the orangutans. So we definitely weren't racing then as well. So it might have been those two. And uh, for Millie, Millie and Chuck, were they, I assume they just passed out once they got to the end of that leg? Because that was their uh, infamous oh super God. killer fatigue leg of elimination. Yeah, they were. Forget it, man. They were. It was not nice. Millie was, man, she was like a pit bull. <laughs> And poor Chuck was just the sweetest guy you could possibly imagine. Wanted to do everything he possibly could for her. But, um, yeah, 
I believe shortly after the race, they broke up. And I think Millie moved up here to New York. Last time I talked to her, was, we got to get together or something, which was, you know, probably a year or so ago on Facebook. Yeah, I think the last time I crept her Facebook profile several years ago, I understand she's married to somebody else now. Yes, married to someone else. And I think I think she does work in the field of, you know, humanitarian efforts or something like that as well. She was always into that. Do you think modern day Amazing Race and the state of television now that a team subtitle would ever be dating 12 years dash virgins? Do you think they would ever get away with that now? No, I don't think, I don't know what they would get away with. Although, let me tell you, I see some of the things like The Bachelor and all that. They get away with a lot more. But um, that was the weirdest title for a team. And I asked her about that. And she's like, I can't believe. We told them we don't want the, please don't say anything about this. But we let them know that that's where we were in our relationship. And of course, that's what they put on. Well, it'd be even funnier if like four or five, the virgin's title just mysteriously disappears without explanation. Oh, that would have been good. (laughs) That would have been great. It's like at the monkey reserve, guys, at the monkey reserve. Oh, or maybe in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, after he did that, uh, that, that mill, that windmill, maybe it wind- shook yeah. him up a little bit. And he's like, all right, I've done enough. Come on, Millie. You and me, we're staying in the sky. Huh? <laughs> oh, he was a, uh, he was such a sweet, nice guy. He still is. Is he married now or is he still? I don't know if he's married. I really don't know. Last, last I talked to him, he was, um. And it's going back a couple of years. He was parking cars at a, as a parking valet. Oh, is still a virgin? Is there an update on their virginity status? No, I don't know. I'll have to ask him next time. I'm like, so uh, how's that going? <laughs> if he's not married, he's probably still a virgin. Yeah, we'll arrange a five-minute podcast with them just to uh, ask that question. Oh, that would be fun. First what question. Let's start. It's like Fro- it's like Frost Nixon. You gotta you gotta hammer him hard at the beginning. Right, hit him right in the beginning. Oh, that'd be funny. I wonder what his answer would be. That would be a great time to uh, reintroduce the "Are you pregnant?" question. Yes. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. Good guys, good guys. A lot of actually, now that I think about it, a lot of teams from your guys' season. A lot of the couples eventually broke up because we have. Millie and Chuck, who broke up right away, and now we learn Riken and Chip pretty much were already broken up. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, the longest-lasting love story of the whole season, uh, Russell and Cindy. Yeah, sure. I think really? they were broken up before the show even started. Yeah. All these, uh, their closest moment was Russell spinning Cindy at that pool table in their intro shot. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh, yeah. And he was odd because... We became pretty good friends with him. And then out of the blue, he just disappeared from everybody. I would ask other people to like, no, he just disappeared. Doesn't respond to any emails. Doesn't respond to anything. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty weird. But uh, yeah, they were they were broken up in the beginning. And then the, um, the Supremes, Monica and... Um, Cherie. Monica and... Is it Monica and Cherie? Yep. Yeah. They, um, from what I understand they became like a little bit combative between them. And I think that each of them broke up with their husbands too. And one's remarried. 
So they don't know the luxuries of what it's like to be married to professional football players? No, they don't. Like they mentioned, this is our life. We live in a nice luxury life. Yeah, that was... No, they don't. I was surprised at that. <laughs> so if they get brought back, they can say what it used to be like to be married with the luxuries of being married to professional football players. They can replay that confessional. They, they could, and they can compare it to the way they're living their life now. Yeah, like a one-bedroom apartment or something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where they're living. I'm sure they're living the good life, though. Did they mention, because on TV, that's the only confessional they showed over and over, and they had almost no other airtime for them. Did did they talk about that as much with you guys in person, off-camera, or is that strictly for the show? About how they live the good life? Yeah, the luxuries of being married to professional yeah. football players. Yeah, they would always throw that in there to, um, you know, in a conversation. How, oh, we're married to professional football players, and, oh, we do this, and, oh, I have this. And they would always throw that in, you know, in a conversation. Really, because they really didn't add much anything else. After what they did to me in Austria, yeah, I could say that. <laughs> <laughs> Did they, was that how they ended the fight? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. By the way, just want to let you know, we're married to NFL players. Yes. We, we can do people to go to the wrong Beethoven or Mozart house because professional football players uh, can afford the luxuries of going to classical music concerts in Vienna. That's right. And you are nothing but a lowly pee on clown so get out of my face not a not a clown in mozart's courts you would be a jester i don't think clowns existed that's true yeah i still can't believe that they did that to us when i saw that on tv i had no idea and when i saw it on tv i'm like damn look at them that's all right we lasted longer than they did it was game time that's right it was game time bring it on you're in the game they didn't make it to the Super Bowl of the end of the season. No, they did not. <laughs> so Russell and Cindy was interesting because Russell didn't even do any post-show interviews. Was that when he already cut himself off from everybody? Was during the season while it was airing? Yeah, he was really like an on and he was like an on and off switch. Sometimes he'd be friendly, and next thing you know, he wouldn't even talk or anything like that. And I, I really think he was just um like disgruntled almost like, you know, like I don't think he wanted to race it with Cindy. I really don't think he wanted. I think if he could have raced it on his own, he would have done it on his own. It has happened before in the Chinese version where a contestant was forced to do an entire leg on their own because their partner had visa issues for, for a leg. Really? Yeah. Wow. I didn't even know they had a Chinese version of amazing race. Yeah, so they had the, the a series called China Rush for three seasons. I was going to say they've had two. They've had, yeah, they China, had China Rush, and uh, now they've got the, the celebrity version, which is traveling around the world. Oh, wow. Never even knew that. And they have a really weird format, too, where they will do one leg, like this is in real time for filming, where they'll do one leg per week. Like, they'll race for one day, and then they'll go back to their day jobs or whatever, and then come back, like, six or seven days later, and then go to the next location. Oh, that's a really weird format. So, do you still, do you guys still keep, or, actually, just a question in general, I guess, who do you still keep in contact with from your season, other than not Russell? (laughs) 
Um, like I said, Millie and Chuck, and it's mostly like online um, or emails or stuff like that. But Millie and Chuck, I've been in touch with them. Um, Dave, uh, the, the air traffic controllers will throw John. Um, God, I can't remember. Dave Cottingham? No. Dave and uh, I can't think of the name. Help me out. Of, oh, of uh, air traffic Stephen controllers. Dave. Stephen Dave. Um, yeah, through online Facebook, we'll keep in touch with them. A couple of times they traveled through to Long Island and we met up. Um, John, obviously, we get together. We try to get together once or twice a year. We do the uh, reality rally all the time out there. Um, this is your partner, John, because you have a lot of Johns and Steves and Daves on your season. Yeah. So this makes it really confusing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. There was a lot. Yeah, this is John Weiss. He's out in <laughs> Vegas now. And, um, him and his kids are out there, and I try to go out there. They're actually doing something September 28th, and I wasn't able to make it. But I'll be out there in May. May is that reality rally. I'm really trying to plan on doing that. Um, we keep in touch, but he's busy. He's no longer in circus. He's doing, like, a real 9-to-5 job, and he can't stand it. <laughs> so uh, we keep in touch, and I have to say, I think that's about it. You know, every once in a while, um, Josh, was it Josh? Yeah, the yeah, Rivers, yeah. I nicknamed him Rivers Como. Oh, Rivers Como. <laughs> Josh, I would, uh, sometimes him or his dad on Facebook, I'll tell you, Facebook is a great tool to just keep in touch with people throughout the world. And uh, that's about it. You know, so, of course, if I heard someone was in town, I would definitely reach out to them, or if I'm in their area, I should reach. I try to reach out to them. I was in Miami once, and I reached out to Chip, and I met up with him. Uh, like I said, John and Kelly, we did, but um, the rest of them, not so much. Are David and Jeff still stranded in Hawaii somewhere? Has anyone seen them over the past fifteen years? I don't think so, and I still want to say I think we should be third place. I'm glad you uh, echoed that sentiment. Whenever Second. I tell people that, Rockin' and Chip don't count anymore. Remember. Oh, yeah, that's right. Second place. So now Kelly just has to uh, make good on the dream she had, and you guys would now be first, the winners of season four. Oh, my gosh. Look at that. We went from fourth to first. I like this. We need to talk more about this. (laughs) Is there any statute of limitations? Maybe we could go back. I think if Colin Christie can be brought back 26 seasons later, I have a feeling there is no statute of limitations, except... Except on the potential lawsuit of mentioning what happened in South Korea. Oh, there you go. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, I cannot believe 26 seasons they back. Who do they know? They must have, like, pictures of someone doing something. I think they've always kind of been in the mix, because they were meant to do All-Stars as well. Oh, and were then, they? And then Christy was pregnant, I think. Ah, oh, So they, right. they've always kind of been in the mix, but we know... That there's they've been contacting more old school teams as well because Eric and Jeremy got a call as well. Oh really? Yeah, which we were shocked about when Eric told us because I would have thought the most dominant team in U.S. history maybe wouldn't get called back again. No, I wouldn't think so either. I think one of the most one of the most pleasant, nicest, most popular of ninety six percent popularity teams should get called back. But you know, that's just my two cents. <laughs> <laughs> no vested interest at all. Not at all. Are you kidding me? Nah. <laughs> so we, 
So we know with Phil Kogan, he submitted a list of 15 teams he wanted on All-Stars. Now we know you guys were one of the 15, uh, the one of the five teams that didn't make uh, the cut onto the show because uh, they picked 10 of Phil's 15 teams. Do you know any other teams uh, from your season who were con- contacted for All-Stars other than uh, Riken and Lance Bass? <laughs> oh, wouldn't that have been fun? Um I'm trying to think if anybody else was on my team. No. I know season three, I don't know if he was just goofing me. Kenny said they contacted him. Yeah, they were They were always on Phil's list. I think he basically said they were his number one choice. Oh, really? Wow. Thanks a lot, Phil. After all the good things I said about you. Not screwing you over. I know. Hey, Bertram always liked the uh, circus aspect of things. Uh, and I think the year after ours, or shortly after ours, they did something in a circus. I'm trying to think. They did season. something with a circus. I remember. They did in, in 17. Yeah, 17. They did, the Rus- they did the Russian circus in season 17. Oh, okay. All right, so it wasn't shortly after ours, but... <laughs> um, oh, actually, Family Edition. Pardon me. Family Edition did have a trapeze task in uh, Quebec. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. So shortly after your guys's. Yeah, so we gave them the idea. <laughs> and they did uh, pick the team of clowns on season 19, but those clowns or, yeah. or season uh, 20 or yeah, 20. Uh, those clowns did not do as well as you guys did. No, they didn't. And I know them. I know who they are. We they were on the road. They were wrangling as well. And uh, it's so funny because people have said, ha, ah, you guys are better. They were, they were just, I think he really messed up with some counting of cows or something like that. I forgot. Yeah, he, has, uh, he had dyslexia. So writing down uh, numbers and math was his roadblock. And he was just pretty much doomed. Yeah, that was it. I remember watching that. I was like, ooh, this isn't good. This isn't giving us a good name. But uh, <laughs> eh, it could only be one. The original. Actually, um, John's wife. After they picked the other clown, she would always sign or um, do stuff for us. And she wrote, the original Amazing Race Clowns. The OG Clowns. OG. OG. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I forgot what your question was. <laughs> I, have to go I think on. I've forgotten my question, too. As well. <laughs> I think we've gone on quite attention. Do you know anyone else from your season who was called oh, for All Stars? No. I don't know anyone else. Did you ever get to meet Lance Bass while he was still dating Riken at the time? Never got to meet him. Never got wow. to meet him. That would have been fun. I mean, Riken went from like a jewelry maker to Lance Bass to a guy who designs perfumes. He just, I'll tell you, every time I uh, heard what was going on, I'm like, damn. He's like, oh, I had an actual jewelry made, you know, called the uh, the Riken ring or something like that. And Oh, I had a um, perfume made, which is like, you know, Air Force One, whatever. He was a nice guy, though, I will say. Um, was there any other people that, was there any other injuries or illnesses that you, you were aware of on your season? I know John and Kelly. Kelly said um, during the karate one, the Seoul Korea Jiu-Jitsu, her whole hand was busted up from uh, doing that, that wooden board. That was hard, actually. The wooden board one. When I first attempted it, I couldn't get through like three of the boards. And John was just like screaming at me like, don't even look, just do it. So I know she got hurt. Um, 
you know, Millie with her asthma. She had a couple little asthma attacks. Um, nobody else that I remember got sick or injured or had to have any medical. Other than Chip getting busted up by Millie in the chase for the fiacras. Remember that when she scratched, she was laughing. I scratched his face. Yeah, that was pretty funny. That was she drew first blood on the season. Yeah, and that was good. That was when uh, John and I noticed that or something with that. Grab that thing. That was fun. That was a good one. And then um, Steve or Dave, I forgot which one of them hurt his leg. Oh, his knee, yes, when he was climbing up the Alps. Yeah, in the Alps. Did his knee ever recover by the time they got eliminated in Amsterdam? Not that he was much faster on a perfectly healed knee by the looks of it in the episodes. Yeah, I think it was all an act he was putting on. He just wanted a little extra air time. He knew his time was numbered, and he's like, if I fake an injury, they'll have to really focus in on this. (laughs) He was doing pretty good after that, let me tell you. He, how did Steve and Dave make, I mean, they were still eliminated in eighth place, but how in the world did they even make it that far? I don't know. I was always wondering. I'm always like, can't believe this. They're rat. They're still, I can't believe this. I just think they had good fortune and good luck. And of course the, there was actually, this is one question I've always been wondering. A lot of fast forwards were claimed on your season and other than, Deborah and Steve, Amanda and Chris, and Russell and Cindy. I think you and John are the only other team that didn't go for a fast forward the whole season. Yeah, we didn't because it was different. I, I believe, if I remember correctly, in each clue, there was a fast forward. And once you used it, you couldn't use it again. Because I remember there was a lot of fast forwards. It's not like it is now where it's like here or there. But um, And I actually have one of the fast forwards. Um, we were waiting because we were really convinced that we were going close to the end. We were just, we were, we were on fire at the time. We felt really good until we just hit that wall in Seoul, Korea. So the, we were playing it very conservatively and we're like, we're going to just hold on to that fast forward. When we are dead stuck someplace, then we'll just pull out the fast forward. And that opportunity just never came up. Cause I think in your elimination leg, uh, David and Jeff took the fast forward. They took the fast forward in the elimination. And it just never, yeah, just never, um, yeah, never came up or we never felt like um, we had to do it. And and when we saw the other teams in Brisbane, um, we really felt like, wow, this is good. This is a good fortune. Something happened. And um, yeah, then when the guy came out of the woodwork and said, no, I'm with CBS legal department and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what? I was like, where does this all... We don't remember talking about this when they were going over stuff. Was and the airport at least nice? Yeah, he was very nice. Real nice guy, tall, skinny guy. I don't know his name. Uh, very nice about it. He just explained it to us. And I'll tell you, at that time, you're so emotionally wasted and you're like physically wasted. You're like, what is going on? I, I, I couldn't have think of what to do. And John actually memorized his credit card so when we were in Seoul, Korea, we were going to use his credit card. But the producer said, you're not allowed to use that. You're not allowed to use your own credit card. You'll be eliminated. And that's when she said, here, use my credit card. This is a CBS credit card. We'll explain it to the producers at the end of the race. And she was in shock that hers only allowed for one ticket. I'd be interested to see how they would justify someone getting eliminated for using their own credit card. I, yeah, how would they say that on TV? 
Yeah, because they wouldn't. They would, I'm assuming, give you a 24-hour penalty to guarantee you'd get eliminated. But how would they explain it? Right. And why? Why would you... You have a CBS credit card. Why would you have to use your own? So, um, you know, they were talked out of it. And we didn't know what to do. We should have recorded it like... uh, Kenny was the one on season three who did the recording of the other one. He did it right on camera. He goes, I want this on camera. This is what happened. Blah, 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 blah. And I believe he was rewarded... (laughs) From CBS. We're rewarded. Monetarily. Ah, I see. I believe uh, they said, oh, you know, because of this mix-up, whatever the mix-up, uh, you know, I think they offered his team like another 10 grand or something. Oh, well, that's, in the Canadian version, the only team that ever gets any prize money is just who wins the race. Everyone else gets zero dollars in compensation. Really? Yeah. It's all or nothing in Canada. Wow. Have you guys found that with other, you know, countries? I think Australia does a in, inclination of, well, when they had the three seasons, I believe there's consolation uh, uh, prizes for the trail for the all the other teams that were eliminated. I don't think it's a huge amount. Not a huge amount, no. I mean, I think right now with the American version, I think Justin said that second place now gets 25,000, third place gets yeah. 10. And right. goes from there? Yes. Because we got seven. Oh, so, okay. Fourth place, we got seven. But that was seven split between two people. So, 30, yeah, 3500 each, I guess. Yeah, 3500 each and pay taxes on it. <laughs> Oof, that drops yeah. it down quite a bit. Um, <laughs> you got you were part of the very last tie that they allowed on The Amazing Race. Did production ever say... Did they make that rule change right during mid-season, or did they wait till the end to say, hey, guys, no more ties allowed? Um, what happened was this. You're talking about what all the t- – I think it was in um, Italy, right? Yeah, there's two ties. One was when all three – I assume part of the reason was on the first leg when all three teams had to wait. get the prizes from Royal Caribbean. And then there was a tie with you guys and Millie and Chuck and Marseille, it looks like. Oh, was it really in Marseille? Yeah, there's two ties. One with all the teams winning a leg, and then you guys tied with Millie and Chuck in leg four. Wow. I don't even remember that one. But, yeah, I remember the first one where all the teams – and they did bring us all together, and they said um, – that's when they said, well, since they waited and there was three teams, for the next two legs of the race, there will be no prizes for the first-place team. And everybody's oh, really? like, yeah, that's what they told us. So they said because they're taking those prizes and giving it to the two teams that they waited up for. So uh, there was that's what they told us. I remember that. They brought us all together and said that. And, um, yeah, the million Chuck one, I kind of don't remember. I don't know why. I'm going to have to go back and look at that. But, yeah, after you guys only tie for a second, like there's not even a prize up for grabs. But for whatever reason, after that, they just don't, didn't allow ties no wow. matter what position. Yeah, and I think that's a good call because teams would just wait up for each other. It's a competitive, and why wait for each other, you know? Um, So I think that's a good call that they did that. They don't allow the tying, and it's the first come, first serve. That's it. You guys had, looks like, three second or two second-place finishes, and you guys would have been first two more times if not for fast-forwards being taken. Right. I always remember that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Chuck and Millie took the fast forward. That was the mill, right? 
Was that yep. the Netherlands one? Yeah. I remember that. And I was I was actually surprised that they did that. That they took that because they I didn't think they were doing that bad. I think she was having a breakdown by that time. Maybe the air in Amsterdam just wasn't the cleanest. There's some other there's some sort of pollutant or substance in the air that made it difficult to breathe. Yeah, it probably had an effect on her. <laughs> That Amsterdam leg was such a weird leg of tasks because you guys not only flung cow feces and hung around a smoker statue, but you also played with what uh, multiple races referred to as slipper, uh, eels that felt like slippery penises. Yes, that was funny. And, and I will tell you this, that was a fun leg of the race. That was one of my favorite legs of the race. And uh, when we were throwing that uh, cow manure... I don't know if you noticed, but at one point, John, his boot got stuck in the cow manure, and he wind up stepping in the rest of the cow manure with a sock. Oh. And it just soaked into his sock. Because when we went into the cars, they had the cars like plastic over the seats and everything. He's like, oh, my God, my socks. I got to throw out my socks. But uh, we, we laughed our asses off. And then with the eels, because we got there rather early, the eels were really alive, and they were moving around, and they were – so I was kind of like freaking out. And uh, one of the guys before we went in said, just make sure you don't let their mouth bite you on the hand. And I'm like, what? And John's like, no, they would never make us do something that you could get hurt. Don't worry, just get in there and do it. But later on, if you notice with the people um, grabbing the eels, the eels weren't as active and moving around as much. And I'm like, oh, we should get extra points for that. But that was a fun. That was a fun round. The fun leg of the race. I like that one. One of my favorites. I always bring this DVD in, like in December, to my class when we have, you know, it's the holidays, and I so always say we're gonna. I never tell them I was on it, and I always tell them uh, we're gonna watch a video about uh, people getting along with other people as a team, and you know, going to other cultures and blah 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 blah. And I put it on, and right away they're like, "Oh my god, a stupid TV show." And uh, the kids start watching it. And then when they see me, they're like, hey, that looks like you. That could, no, that can't be you. That guy's a lot younger and a lot skinnier. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, thank you very much. Jeez. It was but, a stunt uh, double. Yeah, my stunt double, right. Yeah. But it's fun, man. They watch it. And I'll tell you, the kids today who are, you know, addicted to video games and all they sat there and they watch episode after episode of that and they are just like transform and they're just watching the show. So I'm always like, wow, that's cool because, you know, kids today, they want instant gratification and they want to, you know, the shows have to be 3D and everyone loves it. But uh, yeah, the show definitely has something for everybody to look at. When you guys got the visas back at the start of the race, were there any countries listed on the visa that wasn't used? Yes. There was one. Uh, I believe we had something from uh, Madagascar. Ooh. On there, nice which I thought was going to be really cool. And um, that was the one that stuck out to me. So Madagascar was the only one that you can uh, remember as far as you know? I think so. Oh, Okay. Yeah, because now they don't even do any fake-out countries at all. Whatever you get back on those visas on the passports, if for countries that you still need visas for, that is, that, those ones are always used. Oh, really? So they're always used, yeah. Production costs. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Why spend extra uh, money? But, uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. 
Oh, I was just going to say, I was just going through a couple of other teams that we hadn't really talked about. Uh, Amanda and Chris, did you have much interaction with those guys? Because they were the first to pull the old win the first leg, then come in last on the next leg. Yeah. Well, no, we didn't really have much uh, interaction with them at all. Chuck and Millie, I think, kind of like connected with them in the very beginning. And when we went to get, um, Milano, there was a big mix-up in Milano uh, because people were pulling more bus tickets than they need should have pulled. So they had oh. to stop. Production. Yeah, pulled. I think you pulled up. Yeah, it was like a 2 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning bus. Yep. And you were supposed to pull one ticket for your team. Like you say, you are the 2 o'clock bus. But people were pulling like two of them, and then they were putting them back and switching. It was a big mess up. So they actually had to halt production. They stopped it. They had to get some of those tickets back, and they had to replant them. And um, so when... I think it was Chuck and Millie who told them where one of them was because they knew then they would be on their bus with them. So they kind of like befriended them and became friends with them right away. So it was mainly Millie and Chuck that led the way for Man and Chris to get that joint first place with them and Steve and Josh. Yes. They were all like in on it together. Yep. They were the ones to do it. And how brutal was that equalizer in the second leg where – Everyone is all bunched together, and all you had left to do was identify a mask and then run a little ways to the pit stop in Venice. I'm glad you said that because that was the one thing I wanted to mention to you guys. That was John and I. That was in Venice. John and I actually got to the apartment where they do the mask task first, but it didn't start till like 9 o'clock at night or something like that. So we were like, you know what? We're walking around. We were just walking. So we started walking around. Actually, that was one of the times where we used our money to buy food. We went out and got, of all things, Chinese food. Um, in Venice. Yeah, in Venice. <laughs> and I kept telling John, we can't spend a lot of money. So I just ordered like a bowl of rice and he ordered like, and I'm like, we got to save our money. So uh, I ordered just like some rice. And then he orders like pepper steak or something. Eat uh, now, think later. Yeah, I was like, yeah, exactly, right? And uh, But I kept ordering water to drink because I'm like, oh, that'll fill me up. And what I didn't realize, they charge you for the water there. Oh, so yes. my what I bought wind up being more expensive than what John bought. <laughs> I was so pissed off, and he wouldn't even share it with me. But we walked all around, walked all around Venice. We went into that, um, uh, well, I think it was like St. Mark's Square, and all the pigeons were all over us. They didn't really show any of that. But it actually worked out to our advantage because we saw um, Dave and Steve, they were doing the fast forward, I believe. And we saw where the pit stop was. It was on the boat. I said, Oh my God, John, look, that's where the pit stop is. We got to remember how to get back here. We were the last people in line right now. And John's like, you got to nail this on the first time, man, with the masks. Because we would get nervous. We're like, we really screwed ourselves. Because it was also raining a little bit. And um, we did the mask. Thank goodness I remembered exactly where to go for that pit stop. Because it was a mad dash back to the pit stop. And uh, it wound up helping us out because I knew exactly where to go and what to make. And Venice is just crazy. It's just like a labyrinth of mazes. But uh, 
yeah, that was just crazy that we did that. I don't know why we did it, but we just had to walk around. Otherwise, we just didn't want to sit there and wait hours and hours on end. Yeah, I think from first to last, it was something ridiculous where it was like 26 minutes between the first team that, or excluding Steve and Dave, where the other nine teams checked in within 26 minutes of each other. It was crazy. We were like, we really thought we blew it. We're like, we screwed ourselves, man. And I believe, I'm, I'm not sure, but I think it was after that where they started doing something where um, you took a number when you got to the task and like, all right, you're number one, you're number two, you're number three. I'm not sure if I'm mistaken, but I remember they implemented something like that because when we were in Austria, you had to take a number of when you bungee jumped. Right. Something like that. And I forget. It's going back on my memory. But, yeah, that Venice was quite the uh, scare for us. We really thought we screwed ourselves. Yeah, I guess he didn't take a number for the Fiocra or else uh, Chip would have uh, a full set of lips fully intact right now. Yeah, really. No, you just had to be clever enough to grab that pass off the door handle. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. And I remember he went to go running to see if everybody else grabbed the pass afterwards. That was so funny. It's like, we got to be smarter than this, you know? It's funny. Um, well, yeah, one question I've always had is, when it's down to four teams, a lot of people probably wonder about this. Maybe not so much 15 years later now that there's been right. know, like seasons worldwide where this question kind of is on the back burner a bit. But uh, why did you share a cab with David and Jeff when only four teams were left in the race? Uh, it, I, and again, I think it was because of money. We were going short on money, and we're like, we didn't know where we were going, what we were doing, and we just figured out, we'll just go do, you know, we didn't think it's going to be in the middle of nowhere. Um, and I, I believe it was, uh, you know, this week we, we could preserve the monies that we had if we had to, you know, quick have to grab something right away. And we knew we screwed up then, too. Afterwards, we thought for sure they would have left without us, and we would have been in the middle of this mountainous area with no way to get a cab and i assume it was unintentional that david and jeff were the ones that went to find their own cab before the pit stop rather than you you guys trying out with them by sticking inside the same cab no yeah no we decided afterwards i remember going on that they we decided we're splitting up you know yeah this is real good guys but um i remembered some kind of conversation was like ah we each got to be on our own this wasn't a great idea that we did. Um, the language barrier there was really difficult to try to, to explain to them where we wanted to go in Korean, obviously. Uh, it was really difficult. You mean David and Jeff didn't know how to speak fluent Korean? No, they weren't working with their Korean language. I was very surprised. I thought they'd be able to speak Korean, you know, in the Hawaiian sense. There was no it, little Italian soul to uh, ask for help uh, for you and John? Nope. There was no little Italy. <laughs> I wish. Jeez. Soul The closest, I guess, is with all of the uh, eSports and Mario video games uh, over there. Yeah. I don't even play video games, so I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, it was crazy. Korea was cool. Was that... I guess that was the second biggest culture shock after Mumbai. Yeah, definitely. Mumbai was the first. We were shocked beyond no belief. And then once we got to Korea, and the language just impossible. And I remember we had to go on the um, 
subway system there and it was so difficult to read there, you know, all the where we were supposed to go and what we were supposed to do. Just really difficult that you were thankful it wasn't a self-drive leg. That oh, round. no. Yeah, yeah. If we had to drive, we would well, everybody would have been in trouble then because you just don't read those signs like they uh, mean anything. Next thing you know, tanks are pulling up next to you. Yep, with machine guns asking us to come out of the taxi. Oh, that would have been fun. I wonder what they would have done in that case. I think CBS's security personnel budget would have been in full, flexing their full muscle in, uh, in that situation. Yeah. That's one, thing, that's one thing that's amazing, the security team. We always see them, as we were running, you'd always see them like standing by a corner over here. They always knew what to do and where to do it. Obviously, they, had, they knew where people were going to be. But they were good. They were very good, but kept out of sight. Do you think they used like people that were retired federal agents and stuff to keep you guys under watch? I think they definitely had people with a background experience in something like that because they were very good and they were very professional. I always say that's the that would be an amazing thing to see on TV on how you know, think about it. We had our year we had 12 teams. That means there was 24 other people doing sound and audio uh, sound and video. Uh, and you really never see them in all the edits. You rarely, rarely, it's a couple times you'll see the shadows of them or in a mirror, but you rarely see them. So it's amazing that they keep them under wraps and you don't see them. Was there ever a camera or sound operator that no team wanted to be stuck with? Because we know in the early seasons that there were some that uh, weren't the fastest and, and unintentionally sabotaged teams' abilities to stay ahead. Um, I don't remember any by name, but I remember John and Kelly constantly complaining that it's because of their sound and um, video team that they got delayed. Constantly, they would always be bitching and moaning about them, that they don't want to be with them again, and they're terrible, and they don't keep up with us. They would always be complaining about it. Did you know that John was that big of a quote machine for the season? Because the last five episodes were all titled after quotes he said during each leg. Oh, really? I didn't even realize that. No, I didn't realize that he was. He's funny. He was a funny guy, though. They were just so, as a couple, you know, I'm like, wow, they just don't seem like they fit together. But um, they were funny. He was a funny guy. And they got married. I think they, um, yeah, they just eloped and went out to like Colorado or something like that and got married on their own. And they're still together? I believe so. Yeah. Pretty much the only couple that made it. Yeah. <laughs> well, if he could, if they can make it through that, because remember she was real rough with him. She's like, you know, you're not listening to me and you got to do this. And, you know, and he would listen to whatever. John, she John, 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 I can't believe you're doing this. You're not listening to me. I'm right. And then I think she screwed up big time in Austria. And he goes, oh, there was one, more than one Beethoven house. And then she started, she's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I made that mistake. Probably because Beethoven was so drunk that every house became his house, really. Uh, Probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Gosh. Who was the best at uh, scrambling for flights in your season? Who really benefited from that? Because nowadays... Teams are always stuck on the flight together, except for one, maybe two legs in a whole season. Yeah, who would do the best of the flights on our thumb? 
I don't know. I know the air traffic controllers, they always knew what could, do, you know, they would always give their insight of, oh, don't do this or do this, or we want a flight that goes here around this locate this area. Um, so they had a little bit of information. I think Josh really wanted to hang with them because he thought they would benefit him. But as far as like, no, I know John and I, this was with that Seoul Korea airport in India. We found a travel agency that was open 24 hours a day. And they were the one who told us, we called them while we were in Seoul Korea. And we said, we had to get to Seoul Korea to Brisbane. And they said, the flight that gets in first, you don't want to take because it's going through a certain route that there's storms. So there's going to be delays. He told us a different flight. So we were the only ones on that different flight. But a storm hit the Seoul Korea airport, shut down the entire airport. And that's when we decided, let's go on the flight that everyone else is on. And that's when our credit card wouldn't work. And I assume that if you guys had to run under the new system of always everyone being on the same flights, that David and Jeff would probably have done a lot better in that final leg. And do you think they would have won the season? Yeah. Um, Do I think they would have won the season? Uh, I don't know. They were hot and cold. They would they would be their own worst enemies, I think. And I don't know if they would have won. I don't know. I thought John and Kelly would have won. I thought, you know, if it wasn't for us, because they were just, you know, they were focused, man. They were on top of it. So, but they were lucky. They had that non-elimination round, too. I think two of them. Yes, and there was back, that was the very last season where there was no non-elimination uh, penalties. What, now that you've seen the three different non-elimination penalties they've had on the race over the years, what one do you think would be, would have the biggest impact? What one would have hindered Kelly and John the most? Um, so you're talking about when it's a non-elimination that you have to do a, another task, right? Or, or just which, like, as now over the years we've had where Phil takes all of your money and belongings and then we had... Marked for elimination where you get a 30-minute penalty if you don't come in first on the next leg. And now it's do a quick 10-minute task right. and be back on your way. Which one would have had the most impact on Kelly and John, you think? I didn't like the one where they took away all your money. I never liked that one. Um, I just thought it was like, here you are, you know, just like what you said, begging for money where people who may not have a lot of money and you're trying to get a million dollars. So I never, ever liked that. That didn't appeal to me. I think Mumbai or coaching. Yeah, yeah really. Um, yeah, God, these poor people. Oh my gosh. Um, and then the one where you got to do the task. Yeah, like you said, I think it's just a little mundane task. And I also wondered, do they have different tasks for different teams? You know, because some of them seem so simple, and I'm like, this is nothing. You know. Um, so I would say it's one where you're marked for elimination and you have to come in first, I think that one would have hurt them the most. Because they weren't, they never really liked to uh, come in first uh, too often during the race. No, no, they wouldn't. But uh, yeah, I think that would have, that would have hurt them. And they would have kind of, you know, under extreme situations, they tend to get a little uh, flustered. Yeah, or in Kelly's case, it gets out of hand. Yes. Out of hand. 
Um, John did almost all the roadblocks uh, between him and Kelly. Kelly only did two of them. Do you think they would have been out earlier too if Kelly had to do more roadblocks? Or do you think she pulled her own weight within the team and would have been able to get by? I think it depends on the roadblocks. But I think under the current situation, I don't know if they would have done as well. Because John was the power behind that and he would always pull it out and do something. And I think she would just get flustered, and I don't know if she would do well. I think it's going to be interesting to see how Colin and Christy do, because they're the first team really to come back, having been sus- uh, subject to no roadblock restrictions at all. Right. So it's going to be really interesting to see, because I think Colin did most of the roadblocks for them. It's going to be interesting to see how they do. Christy only did one. Wow. So it's, going to, it's going to be interesting to see if they do get to the end, whether they get a 6-6 split, and how that affects them yeah oh that that will be interesting i gotta pay attention to that but um yeah and i think it's you know the change of the rules and everything like that they're gonna have to you know be flexible and go with it and just do the best they could i mean they do have prior knowledge so they know what they're in store for but uh so do the others so it'll be interesting very interesting so would you guys have ever used a u-turn or a yield on on your on your season if you had one because we talked earlier about Millie and Chuck and Kelly and John inevitably you turning each other would you guys have ever uh, considered using one? I think we would have used it if it, if we were in danger if we were out ahead of the pack I don't think John and I would have just used it just for the hell of using it you know that's just the way around now if I was on it now I would definitely use it just to thin out the crowd a little bit more. Of the more competent people. And no more Mr. Nice Guy. No more, yeah. No more Mr. Everyone, there is no more room on the clown car. You get get thrown out of the clown car onto the road. The doors are locked. If you're not on it, sorry. Doors are locked and windows rolled up. Yep. And all the red noses are given out. (laughs) Best case scenario is you get tossed, uh, tied down into the trunk. Yeah. Even then, or up on the roof. Like a deer. Yeah. <laughs> and if you survive it, well, okay, maybe. Did you guys ever have, I think this is the only team we haven't really uh, talked about. Did you guys ever have any interaction with our lovely first boots, uh, Deborah and Steve? Um, I did. When did we talk to them? We did talk to them. They were very, very, very sweet couple. Very nice. She was so sweet. Oh, it was in... Um, I know where it was because she shared an air um, hotel with, it was in Milan, I think. Was it Milan? Yeah. Where they had to share a hotel with them. That night we uh, met up with them or we saw them on the streets and we talked to them. Very, very sweet. Really sweet. But I, we all knew they were doomed. There was no, I mean, there was just, I don't know. We were like, wow, that's weird. Were they the like token bait to just throw them out there and let them go? Cause it was, you know, they were there to enjoy themselves and have fun and have a good time. And they didn't seem like they were um, very ambitious for winning. <laughs> not not, uh, not uh, too competitive. They wanted to have thrown people off the side of the Alps to uh, get ahead on the slopes. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Don't you remember? It was, uh, who is it? Jerry behind her or something like that? Or Tian? And they were like, um, excuse me, I got to go past you, move. And she's like, sure, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, 
It was bad. That was in the uh, Alps. Cinque Torre. Is it the only time that Jerry ever passed anybody in a task of speed on the Amazing Race? Think back. Let me think. I think on the no, she didn't pass him. Yeah, I think that was one of the only ones. Yeah. Yeah, Sharice not wasn't really known for her cardio uh, throughout the season. Nah, she wasn't. Yeah, was she, she, she didn't. She have to be pulled up the snow Alps or something like that. She yeah, she was like tied down to Tiana as an anchor at one point, and yeah, Tiana yeah. was like, Tiana was like, it was like a foreshadowing because Tiana had to pretend to be one of the bulls pulling somebody across, and then yeah. Tiana got the role reversal and had the bulls pull her in India. Yes, I remember that. Oh my God! Yeah, Tian was tough. She was tough. She was out to get killed. But Jerry, yeah, no, I don't think she was. Uh, ah, no, nah, she wouldn't have done well. What was your favorite country or and or tasks that you did on the Amazing Race? Well, I loved Amsterdam. And I loved the um, the going through the pile of manure, and <laughs> then getting the uh, slippery eels. That was just a fun leg. We had a real fun time with that. Um, but for me, I think one of the most eye-opening and cultural shocks was definitely India. It just blew my mind. I couldn't believe it. And it really touched John and I. We were just like blown away by the poverty level there and the way that people live. And it really was just touching. How did it impact you guys after the race, after a culture, after culture shock and being impacted like that? It really makes you appreciate what you have and, um, yeah, appreciate what you have and not be, you know, be humble, be humble about what you have and appreciate other people that other people in the world aren't as fortunate as you and really to, you know, help other people out if you could. And what country do you wish you had gone to or what kind or I know you've traveled a lot since the amazing race. Is there, is there still a major country that, well, even a minor country too, they need love too. Um, any country that you're really eager to still visit for the first time? Um, for the first time, I would love to do Vietnam, you know, Southeast Asia, but I would also love to do like Eastern Europe, like Poland, uh, Romania, Hungary. I would love to do that. I haven't done that. I've done a lot of Europe. Um, yeah, I've done Africa. I would have loved to have done an, uh, um, one leg in Africa on the amazing race. Those always look fascinating and fun. Um, but as far as traveling, yeah, I think like Eastern Europe and some of like Southeast Asia and Australia, but I wanted to go to Australia for like a month. And what was surprising is that in the early seasons where there was a lot of travel, you guys actually skipped out on both Africa and South America during your season. I know. I, I couldn't figure that out. I don't know why. Um, I wish they wish they added that into our season. In fact, I think you guys only had the, the Netherlands as the only new country for the season i think everywhere else had already been visited in the first three seasons of the race oh have they really wow i didn't even know that and to be honest with you when i applied for the amazing race i never even watched an episode of it my cousin sent me an advertisement he goes you like to travel this sounds something that you like to do so i applied for it and then when we started getting calls i'm like damn i better go look at this show what it entails 
So, and then when I got on the show, that I was talking to people. They're like, "Oh, every year since year one, we've been trying to get on." I know all the different, you know, countries they go to and what the strategies are. And I'm like, really? I have no idea. <laughs> and that's season four where you have people say they are experts, longtime experts of the show, and the show is only in its fourth season. Right. Yeah, that's how I was like, really? Three, you know, three years that you look back on and, yeah, long-term experts. But they do think that. And, the, and I mean, that can be watched in almost like a, a week now, uh, three seasons of the race. Do you, do you not envy the super fans who prepare for subsequent seasons now, now that the next newbie season is going to be season 32, and now they have to watch not just 31 American seasons, but now there's been all the international versions that are made available for people to watch nowadays? Oh, I think it definitely helps, and it definitely gives you a heads up. Even with all these reality shows now, it definitely gives you a heads up. The only thing I think it it hurt having all these seasons out. A lot of people now, when I say they see them going on reality shows, um, sometimes they put on an act. You know, they know that the cameras are there. They know oh, I could get some good airtime, and I really felt like with our early or the early on seasons. And I've heard this from fans as well. They just loved it that it was just, for the most part, everyday people going out there to do this. And they didn't have any prior knowledge of what works, what doesn't work, or very little. And um, it was more genuine and it was more interesting to watch to see how they get through it and not just use someone else's um, idea or someone else's strategy. You know, you see that now with Big Brother and all the all the stuff, you know, they all studied it and know what they have to do and how they're going to do it. I think the challenge for reality TV now is to come up with something absolutely brand new, different, that no one has anything to look back upon to figure out how or a strategy how to do it. Yeah, we were talking about this actually last week with uh, Alex, who won season two of The Amazing Race, how... Oh, yeah. I mean, then it's just one season and there's back then you weren't thinking about how do I fit this archetype or try to play the meta game, I guess, with production right. and figuring out what are they looking for and just uh, just expo really highlight that part of your personality. Now there's people like Dan Giesling from Big Brothers, Rob yeah. Sesternino from Survivor, and I think Uchenna, Uchenna even did this for a few years or he might still do this where uh, you can pay them and they look at your audition tape and they coach you on how to uh, stand out to the casting director to have them pick you, where now there's an actual strategy on how to get picked. Yeah, I heard that too. And I, I think it takes it away. I think it takes something away from it. You know, when you see somebody, they do an interview or an audition, you know, that's really the, for the most part, the person. They don't know what they're going for in the beginning seasons. But now, you know, they know what they're doing. They know, you know, I want to be the Amorosa. I want to be the person, the mean person or the villain or the good person, you know, whatever it may be. And they know what to do. So, um, like I said, and I've heard it over and over with fan groups. They just said, we loved it when it wasn't like casting, didn't look for that, you know, chiseled guy, the big, the guy, strong guy or um, the beautiful model woman. Uh, we just want regular, everyday people just running around trying to do something. I know from my experience that it's not just reality shows that do this. I mean, I've, I've as of last Monday, had my second quiz show air over here. 
and they're looking for particular types of people. And it's very easy to kind of, once you've done one or two, know exactly what sort of people they're going to look for and then just cater your application towards that. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's the business. It's That's the business. That's what sells. I will fully admit that for my second one, I, I knew exactly what they were going to be looking for from me and I hyped it up. It's me, but it's just a different version of me necessarily. And when it actually aired, I could just tell how much fun I was having just not even play, playing a character, just yeah. being there and enjoying myself and not really caring what other people thought. Oh, that's cool. So you do quiz shows? Yeah, I do quiz shows. Nice. That's cool. Yeah, that's good. You know, I know you could embellish who you are, but um, I don't know. I just don't like when it's casted for a specific type of person. Yeah, I, I think I think it was Scott Flannery who said this uh, in our last season of podcast. It's just a heightened version of yourself that sometimes you've got to bring into shows like The Race. Sure. Yeah, that's a good way to say it, a heightened version of yourself. You know, so... Do you think that what slot or archetype do you think that casting puts you and John in when they cast you for the race? Good question. Because when we did our interview, it was so funny. Um, I, I think they liked the dynamics between us, John, the crazy guy and me, the, you know, Hey, chill out, let's figure this out. And they liked cause on our on air interview, they would ask us a question and we both start answering at once. And then uh, I'd go, John, just go. He goes, oh, no, you go. No, you go. You could just, oh, you know, I think they like that back and forth, you know, the two different characters. Um, and a funny thing that happened, I remember during one of the interviews they do, they give you something like a saying, like, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. What does that mean to you? And they would come to John and ask him and, you know, too many cooks spoil the soup. And he'd explain it out real nice. And I'll never forget the last one they said was, um, a single swallow does not make a spring. And uh, John, I knew he, I was like, I have no idea what this means. And John's just like, uh, oh yeah, well this means, um, uh, you know, to me, a single swallow does not make a spring. Um, yeah, that's easy. It just means it is what it is and whatever it is, that's what it is. And they just look at him and nod his head. And I was like, he had no idea what he was talking about, but I'm like, I have no idea what I'm gonna talk about. And at that split second, I'm like, oh, I get this. And I said, um, oh, a single swallow does not mean a spring. To me, it means a swallow is a bird. And just because you see a single swallow, it doesn't mean spring is here. And John, in all his character, he goes, holy shit, that's amazing. How the hell did you figure that out? <laughs> and this is the first time I saw these two psychologists, psychiatrists, whoever they were, just break character, kind of smirk and start laughing. And then he starts arguing with them that, you know, this isn't fair because you gave him a lot more time than me to think about what to say. And if I had that much time, I would have been able to figure it out. And I think they just like that combination of us, you know, and I think they like the good guys. I, you know, they probably wanted us to be a little bit more conniving and everything they're competitive, but uh, that's the way I think they were looking at us. More as like the comic relief, especially when you have the clown. <laughs> yep, the comic relief, have fun. You know, we came with our red noses on and throwing coarse manure, uh, cow manure at each other. You know, I think they like that. How much did ducking or uh, John wanted you to duck under that shark during your last roadblock oh, on the race? He was driving me how, crazy with how that. How freaky was that? 
Oh, it was very freaky because they told me as you were going, keep your hands in, you know, and he wasn't there privy to this information when they were uh, let me know about debriefing me about this. Um, and they said, and, and if a shark or something goes in your way, just let him pass and just go forward once he passes. Don't aggravate them. So he's in there going, cut underneath it, go underneath, screaming at me. And I'm just like, shut up, man. Just shut up. You don't know what. Oh, he did that a couple of times. One time when I was, uh, I think it was in France and I had to go down the mountain and he's like, oh, come on, just come on down. Let your weight pull you down. And I'm like, shut up, John. And also the face first for pal. He was screaming there, yelling at me. That was scary. That was probably one of the scariest things I've ever done as well. But, uh, and I knew we were, I had to, I couldn't wait. I knew we were last and we had to just hightail it out there and get it done. I think there, we've already covered this a bit, but what was your big what if moment that uh, keeps you up at night about the amazing race? Or hopefully it doesn't keep you up at night considering it's been uh, 15 years now. But we've talked about this with other teams where they point to this what if moment and then they're convinced that they would have won the season had that not occurred. No doubt about it. It was in that Seoul Korea airport. If we put up more stink about it, that if I would, if we would have said, look, when the production came, look, our credit card didn't work. You're saying it's the computer terminal. I, I don't believe it was a computer terminal. I believe something was wrong with that credit card. Prove to me, show me something. But you know, you don't think at that time, I really think we should have put a more of a stink about that um, because it was just unheard of. And the fact that they didn't show it on TV and the fact that, you know, he's like, oh, you know, just let him run the rest of the way race. It's, I don't know. I just felt like it was all combined together. And then the Reckoning chip would have been eliminated. Do you think you, are you convinced you guys would have won that final leg? I think we would have gave him a real good run for their money. I felt like we were really on a roll. We were doing really good, feeling really good. And I, I thought we like figured out a little bit of the race, how to go about doing it. And John and I were working together really well. And I didn't notice, I didn't realize this till pretty much just now, but the closest you came to being illuminated was actually during that uh, Mumbai leg. Yeah, we were second to last, weren't we? Yeah, only Monica and Cherie were behind you. Yeah. Was it a big time difference between you guys? Um, I, don't, I know it wasn't very, very close because then you would usually see them. So it was definitely, I don't think it was an enormous different amount of time. But uh, it was more than just really close. But I knew we had to hum uh, hustle on that as well. I remember that. And that was all from choosing the wrong detour that round? Yep. Yeah. It was hard, you know. It was, And then, you know, we were getting beaten down. But, uh, you know, we just never gave up. And we were just like, no, we're going to just keep going. Keep pushing. Keep pushing. So, uh, yeah, that was – it was scary. And any – Big scenes. What do you want your uh, What do you want our fans to uh, know about your time on the race, or the most interesting thing that uh, another interesting thing that didn't make it onto TV? Um, one other funny thing that didn't make it on TV. We were on a train. I think it was the India train. India. It was another train where um, it was kind of cool because the sound guy and camera guy again. They were John knew I had a weak stomach for certain things. And he had cheese or they got cheese or something. And uh, they brought it back to me. And John told the guys, here, I'm going to give Al this Limburger cheese. I can't. It must have not been on India because that was crazy India, that train. There was another train. And he said, you got to get it on video of him almost vomiting. 
So he came by, he goes, oh, Al, hey, I got some food here. If you want it, it's just cheese. And I'm like, oh, I'll take it. I was eating the cheese. And once I started eating it, I started gagging and spitting up on the train right in one of the little vestibule areas. And uh, the camera guys were there videotaping it all. And I wish kind of we, it made it on the video, but it didn't. Uh, that was fun. And the only other thing for the fans and everybody who watches it, just uh, that, you know, we were there to have a good time. Uh, we definitely wanted to win. We could have used the money, definitely. But overall, it was just an experience of a lifetime, and I wouldn't have traded it for anything in the world. I would have loved to have done it again, like on an all-star. But, you know, the experience was phenomenal. It was great. We weren't prepared for after the show aired to do, you know, make the best that we could out of it, you know, getting job, getting works, going on auditions or anything like that. Um, John and I were definitely not prepared because we got calls from lots of different people. And um, I'm happy to say we made some more money in the year following it, doing little appearances at toy fairs and appearances here and there. Um, but we weren't prepared for people just stopping us in the middle, oh my God, you're one of the clowns. You're one of, we, they always knew us as the clowns though. It was never John and Al. You're one of the clowns. Oh my God, can I take a picture? Oh my God, this. It was very nice. People had some really good things to say as well. We've had, uh, we had one racer, Kelly from season seven, who where three months ago, she got hate mail from, from somebody 14 year, 13 or 14 years after she had been on the race. Oh my God. Have you had any sort of hate mail 15 years, 15 years after the fact of no, never, hate mail. never, ever hate mail. I met ever, ever, ever hate mail. Um, you know, I met a lot of friends, a lot of fans, uh, people actually from Brisbane wrote me. I actually keep in touch with now just to say hello. Um, but all positive, everything was positive, never anything negative, which I'm very happy about. Yeah, because you're one of the few that get unscathed. Like, we've interviewed Haley from Blind Date Edition. We've interviewed both Scott and Brooke and Kelly. And they they went through some rough times with the fans. No, never. I'll tell you, the fans are so supportive. And I'll never forget our finale night, the party we had in New York City. We got to the party, like, probably, like, 10, 30, 11 o'clock. And it wasn't until, like, 3 o'clock in the morning where John and I were just nearly collapsed from signing autographs, taking pictures. And all my family was there. I didn't even get to see anyone. And I was like, oh my God, it's like 2.30 in the morning. This is crazy. So really, really, really supportive. And, you know, a lot of people sent us letters and sent us emails and, you know, just like, oh, we loved you guys. You know, you played it right. You weren't mean. And so, you know, that was nice. That was nice that people appreciated that. Do you still get recognized 15 years later? I have gotten recognized, believe it or not. Um, and, and just recently over the summer, I was doing something on a ship and someone said, God, you look so familiar. I don't know where you're from. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. You're from New York? No. And then I was talking to the people I was there working with and I told them, you know, I did this uh, TV show, Amazing Maze. And she came running back. She goes, oh, my God, that's where I know you're from. You're one of the clowns. I'm like, how can you even recognize me? I look different. Oh, my gosh. She goes, no, I still re- I recognize you a little bit. Um, whether she was just saying that or not, I don't know, but she definitely knew. Um, and she said, my mother's a big fan, so she, of course she had to take a picture and send it to her mom. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's great. Give me some of your address and I'll send her a picture. <laughs> 15 years later. Yeah, I look a lot different. 
and then and then of course the mother is 15 years older my, like uh when my parents watch reality tv they can't even remember who was really on the on the last season right you're right yeah she's like, who? like I, I like this team who was he <laughs> You know. A clown? I guess so. He's not even wearing a red nose in the picture. I know. She's like, oh, I guess. Yeah, I guess I kind of remember him. But it's all good. So, yeah, it's good. All good stuff came from it. So, I can't complain. And how do you feel about the special themes they do on Amazing Race now? Like Blind Date Edition, mm-hmm. um, uh, Stranger Edition. Now they just, season 30 was uh, unofficially champions of their field quote unquote with right, yeah. several champions <laughs> i think it's all right i mean i i think it's all about trying to suck more people in to watch it you know to give it interesting you know survivor's going to be what was it david and goliath you know i think it's just, just their way to make reality last longer and try to give it a different twist i guess um you know i think it's all right i i personally like the just old-fashioned you know, mom and pop or everyday Joe, come on in and do this and let's see what you could do. But um, I, I, before they did the Stranger Edition where they just matched people up, years before that, I remember talking, wouldn't it be cool if they just took one team member from one of the teams and the other team member and matched them up with different people? So now you have, you could have best friends racing against each other and they had to do it throughout the entire show. I'm like, I wonder, that, that would be weird. But I wonder what would happen, you know? Yeah, they did it briefly for season 34, one episode, where they had all the teams swap partners for a full leg. One of the legs, yeah. I I thought it was interesting. And it's hard because you don't know the person, you know? Yeah, completely new social dynamic that you have to figure out. I guess it's not as... uh, Probably easier in a way because it's not as personal between the two. Right. But, I, I mean, I think if they had to do more legs of the race, you'd see a lot more fireworks and things going on yeah like with stranger edition by the end of it probably out of all the casts i know about for the amazing race i think that season 29 cast has to probably be one of if not the most tight-knit cast overall in terms of everyone keeping in contact with each other like it's only been a couple years so who knows how it'll be 15 years from now but they get together quite frequently oh that's so nice i keep saying that i want to do that with um, our season, but even just like Amazing Race in general, have a just a meeting for us because Big Brother is very tight as well. When I go to these uh, different charity events, they just seem like they're always getting together or always meeting up or having some different charity event with them. I guess so. When it's all uh, party people living in a house, they're probably the type that want to get together in Vegas for a uh, rally TV extravaganza. Oh my gosh, they do, and they like to party. Survivors and Big Brother, when I do that Temecula, oh, my God, they're up all night. I'm like, I don't know how you do it. You just want to – you're still trying to recover from self-driving through uh, Sandakan, Malaysia. That's right, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. But it's it's fun. It's fun to see them, how they do it and what they do. You know, and uh, it's just a different generation. It's very different. Yes, it is a it's a very different time. We were talking to uh, Alex and how he sent his audition tape through a. Uh, they recorded, I think, pretty much the last one, of the last couple of days possible. They recorded on a VHS tape with really poor lighting, yeah. and they sent it through FedEx. Yeah, I think that's how I sent mine. 
Yeah, well, actually, we didn't talk about that. I know we've touched upon it briefly here and there, answering other questions. But how exactly was the casting process uh, for you guys from when you auditioned to getting on the show? Well, I remember filling out an application, sending in, not knowing what it was about. And then they contacted us and was interested, sent us another questionnaire. And then they said they needed a video, three-minute video. So John was in one place, I was in another. So I had to take this video and splice it all together um, with video cameras and everything. Then I FedExed it out to them. And, um, and I remember John didn't fill out one of the applications. And I'm like, oh, my God, you drive me crazy. Um, and then they said they wanted to meet us on an on-air interview. Went to the on-air interview. That was like one day. And we both flew out there, did the interview. And then they said, we want to meet you guys for like up to 10 days. And that's when we went in there. And that's when you did all the medical stuff, all the psychological reviews. And, you know, that's at the end of that day, they're just like, well, we'll let you know. And John's like, look, you got to let us know whether you want us or not, because I'm a human cannonball. I got to train someone to do my job. You can't just let me know a week before. And they're like, well, and that's when they actually told us before we left that they wanted us for the show, but we couldn't tell anyone or say anything. Um, Cause if it was revealed that we leaked the information, they had other teams in the backup teams. So we kind of knew and we didn't say anything. And then, then they contact us through an email. You know, we really, really getting ready for it. But it was a long process. And I'll tell you in the very beginning, I didn't think, yeah, I heard thousands and thousands upon thousands of people in addition. And they only took 12 teams. Our year was 12 teams. Most year it's 11. So, uh, yeah, it was a long process, and it just worked out. We were thrilled. Wow. Yeah, no no, no recruitment story there for you, eh? No, we were not recruited. And John, actually, when he told Mr. Feld from the circus, um, Mr. Feld said no, he couldn't leave. Oh, sorry. Well, how was he able to arrange it uh, to leave? I told John, I go, you know what, John? That's not the answer we need. You got to figure out a way. We went through this whole process. So John agreed to forfeit his salary. He'll train someone and that person will do it while John's away. So it was no cost to Feld Entertainment. Um, you know, we even said, you know, we could wear your stuff or we'll promote the show. They weren't interested in that. And uh, then Mr. Feld finally agreed. So we were like, thank God, because I'm like, don't tell me. I'll do it with someone else then. <laughs> Who would have been your second choice? I think I would have done it now that I think about it. I think I would have tried to do it with uh, like a family member, my nephew or something. I think that would have been fun to do with the nephew, you know, my younger nephew. Nephew. Yeah, I don't think we've still, I don't think we've seen uncle and nephew on the, on the Amazing Race before. I know yeah. in Latino America they've done it a couple of times, but I don't think they've done it in the American version. Yeah, I would love to do that. Yeah, my nephew, you know, similar type person. We're both, you know, happy-go-lucky, have a good time. But I think we do really, really well. He's very competitive, too. Is he a do-now-think-later type of uh, person? Um, he would – that's what he would want to do. But he might think about it for a, maybe a second longer than John and then uh, and then do it. But, you know, fearless. He'll do anything. He would just, like – Come on, let's do it. Let's get it done. Let's make it happen. So at least you would still have like the same uh, same trait, the same assets as you would with running it with John. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Same dynamic, same uh, traits. Yeah. It would be really, it would, it would be a good one. And if you dip below 96% in the popularity poll, you can blame him. Yeah. I'd be like, Hey, I was able to hold 96%. Bring yeah. you on board and look, we're at 93. What's going on? You're ruining my popularity. <laughs> yeah. What's going on? Jeez. Nah, he would be fun to do it with. The clown car is emptying out. So, well, it was a pleasure, Logan. Yes, th thank you. No, the pleasure was all mine, Al. It was all mine. Oh. It, it was as pleasurable as handling one of those uh, slippery uh, penis yeah. eels, I'm sure. <laughs> I couldn't believe they said that. <laughs> so funny. Oh, my gosh. Yes. God. But, yeah, it was fun. So, thank you for listening to the CURT Number Podcast. You can join us next week for another interview. If you've got any questions, feel free to contact us on our Facebook page, Reality TV Warriors, and our Twitter account, RTV Warriors, our own Twitter pages, MJ Harmstone for me, and Logs for Quirky for Logan. See you next time. Peace out and just chill till the next episode.